No network, no rules, and at the end of the day, my friends, no comparison. Welcome back to another edition of BOA Audio Season 10, the final season, the uh, the final journey into the unknown for this program. Uh, in a seasonal format, we don't know what's going to happen after that. So all you uh, Steve Bergs out there, just relax. Um, uh, let me think here. This, for some reason, I'm completely distracted because, like, someone's calling into the show now. Why is someone... <laughs> Do you have like a mortal enemy that I've that I've conjured up here that's like, oh, I'm calling right now. I'm gonna I'm gonna straighten, straighten this guy out right now. We haven't even started the show, caller, so we're not we're not, we'll probably never put you on now. I'm so confused. Anyway, uh, it's going to be a loose edition of the program, but a very informative one, I think, folks. Um, I was recently talking to our mutual friend here, uh, Joshua Cutchin, the other night on a drunken phone call. We were both very drunk. I was very drunk. I think he was. <laughs> he said he was drunk, so. But I barely remember it, except at the very end of the call, uh, Cutch was like, hey, and very cryptically, he's like, 20-something ufologists, which is funny because you're actually not in your 20s, so it makes the... <laughs> makes the, the <laughs> yeah, just out, just out of them. Yes, exactly. So he's like, 20-something ufologists? I'm like, uh, yeah, yeah, Cutch. He's like, Ren Collier. And I'm like, okay, man. Okay, man, I got to go. I don't know what's going, what's going on. You know, he's like, and he's like, uh, he's like, he's great, man. You got to go to stuff. He's really great. And then he's like, Mr. Apple on Twitter. And I'm like, oh, I love that guy. So <laughs> this is true. This is exactly how the, the conversation went down. And I'm like, oh, for real? I'll check out his stuff, dude. So then I got off the phone, uh, you know, and then sobered up like the next day and, Checked out the stuff, and I was like, shit, this guy's got some good stuff. And he is young. He's uh, he's not in his 20s, Cutch. He's actually in his early 30s. But as I've been lamenting on the show lately, there's just a lack of people uh, interested in UFOs who are, let's say at this point, like under 35. So it's like, you know, everybody I know, a lot of us were like young when we got into this. Uh, some of us, you know, like uh, – you know, Micah Hanks and I kind of grew up together in this field, and it's like we're both getting older. And, you know, I think Kutch is like the youngest dude I know, and I think he's about 35. So I've been complaining about that. I've been complaining about a lot of stuff on the show. And I wanted to, since we're doing, you know, these first-time guests here as part of the final season, I wanted to have uh, somebody young on and somebody who's interested in ufology, and it all worked out perfectly. So, And I had other people in mind, but when I read Ren's stuff, I was like, well, this guy's – 
he's fucking sharp, and he's taking a look at this stuff um, from an angle that I can appreciate, and a fresh angle, and he's incorporating other stuff into it, and he's not just, like, regurgitating, you know, old cases and stuff. He, uh, one of his blog posts, he digs up uh, this crazy story about Albert Bender and Albert Bender, like, conjuring uh, some kind of spirit with black magic and incorporates it um, with his own experiences in this stuff, which is great because he's at doing stuff. He's doing some crazy stuff that uh, I'm interested in talking about tonight. So there's the long intro. Uh, welcome to the show, Ren. Uh, thank you for doing it on such short notice. Uh, but like I said, once, once uh, Kutch put the bug in my head, and then I looked at your stuff. I was like, well, this is kismet, man. This is kismet. So, you know, this guy, I got to get him on the show. Well, it's truly an honor. I mean, uh, I've been listening to Banal of America for a while. You know, long-time listener, first-time caller. So I'm excited to talk to you. You're one of my favorite people in the field. So it's well, definitely an honor thanks, to be man. on the show. I appreciate it. I appreciate your, your kind words, you know. I've kind of – I've realized now I'm kind of like the old man of this, of this at least the podcast thing a lot. You know, I see a lot of <laughs> – I, we, we we run a lot of interesting circles on Twitter, so I see you, you know you're friendly with some like other people from other shows that I'm like, who are these people? They have great shows, they have huge shows, you know. So it's like uh, I, I'm just like, wow, it's things are going to be okay, folks. There's lots of great uh, things out there. Yeah, you know, like there 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 kind of is a uh, a drought in younger people interested, or at least interested enough to to uh, discourse about these topics. Yeah. Lots of people are interested in UFOs. I mean, what, like 80% of America believes in UFOs or whatever? Like, you know, tons of people know about them, just not a lot of people talk about them a lot. But, you know, like, shout-outs to people like Ryan Sprague. You know, he's a young gun who's oh, also yeah, absolutely. in yeah. this field. And, and uh, you know, me, me and my friend Reinhardt are going to be starting a show soon, too. And, you know, we're both kind of in our early 30s. So, you know, it's something that, that – I think a lot of people are interested in it. It's just getting people to talk about it. That's another thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I always kind of like, um, I must have shamed that person in hanging <laughs> up, so they're gone now off the switchboard. Good. Why are you calling <laughs> them before? They actually called in like before I even got a hold of you, because I saw the number earlier, and I'm like, who the fuck is calling in oh, the wow. show? Like, it's five of before the show starts. This is, yeah. I think <laughs> you have like an obsessed fan or something. I don't know. It's very uh, unsettling. So. <laughs> So, yeah, it, 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 I, I kind of make the designation on the show, like sort of uh, like people, lots of people are interested in it. Um, it takes a certain kind of mindset and a certain kind of bravery, and it's like to to, and, and this is no um, like diss on the people that don't, but it's like to mm-hmm. become. I, I sort of make the designation of like when people start to produce shit, you know, when they go from like a yeah, yeah. passive consumer to you know an active creator in this field. You know, and then it's like, so so young people there aren't yeah, there aren't that many, but there yeah, are, the ones that are kind of emerging. There are some good good folks emerging for sure. Yeah, and I mean, I I started wanting to do it and, and writing and you know getting in touch with people mainly because I just had to have an outlet for my ideas. It's like, you know, my girlfriend doesn't give a shit about you know UFOs, so it was kind of like, hey, I've got to make sure that you know it's going to go crazy if I don't tell people my ideas about it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's hard to it's hard it's hard to meet people and uh who are into this stuff. Thankfully with the internet it's a little easier, but uh just to hang out like mm-hmm. it's still hard to like have that sort of like human experience of like hanging out with somebody uh mm-hmm. you know, who's interested in it. Yeah. I'm still kicking myself for not going to Roswell this year. I I thought about it earlier in the year and it's just 
work was too much and I just couldn't get the time off to go do it. But I I was listening to that show with like, you know, Greg and other people meeting up there and, and I was like, ah, I should have went, I should have went. Would have been a lot of fun, but maybe yeah, next year. Yeah. I'm telling you, you want to attend a Paramania is what you want to do. Uh, Kutch, Kutch, <laughs> Kutch will be there. That's, that's like the unconference. Um, yeah, that, that's the one that sounded the most fun, to be honest. <laughs> so for the for my own, uh, to satisfy my OCD, um, let's let's do the bio, the background. Who is Ren Collier? How would you get interested in all this? Um, and I should have mentioned, folks, uh, let me see here. I got all distracted by this person <laughs> calling in. It's so unprofessional. Um but his blog is Liminal Room, and you can find it at uh, liminalroom.com. Pretty simple. Um, and, and your writing is really good. I, I, I enjoy uh, reading it because it, it's not it's it's an interesting sort of mix. It's um, it's like very it's very academic and very like well put together, and, and the insights are really good. But it's written in a very nice sort of like uh, readable style, where it's like I'm absorbing a lot of information, but I'm absorbing it in a way that I'm not like having to work too hard or something, you know. It's, it's <laughs> conversationally, it's very yeah, it's like conversationally written, but with really interesting information that that clearly uh, you know you put your work into finding out. Yeah, thanks. I mean, I'm I'm glad people are enjoying the stuff I'm writing. I wish I had time to write more, but you know, I don't want to just put up a bunch of junk. I'm not like a link aggregator or anything. So you know, I want to write something when I have a good idea and can write a little essay on it. Um, and you know, I, I I cover a broad range of topics. I mean. I've always been interested ever since I was a little kid in, in UFOs, ghosts, uh, cryptids, you know, anything like folklore, mythology. Um, it's always been something that, that has been a part of my life. Um, when I remember when I was a little kid, I used to watch a lot of X-Files and, and sightings. Um, you know, those are kind of on TV when I was in, uh, you know, kind of like middle school. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of unsolved mysteries. So kind of always had this interest. And it wasn't until probably like a three Four years ago, I started listening to uh, Radio Mysterioso, and I had this moment where I realized, whoa, there's like other people who kind of think sort of similar ways that I do. Because my favorite book uh, on ufology is still The Mothman Prophecies. Yeah. And, you know, I've read The Mothman Prophecies multiple times, and, you know, it, it's what killed, kind of killed the ETH for me because, you know, it's it kind of an adherent to the Fortean kind of like Keelian idea of these things being not extraterrestrial in origin. And, you know, for the longest time, that's all you see on TV. That's all you see people talk about is the extraterrestrial hypothesis. And, right, right. You know, that we've seen a huge sea change in that in the last couple of years, I think. Uh, you know, now it's like almost, uh, you know, people who believe in ETH are almost in the minority now, I think. It, or maybe it just looks that way from my position. But, you know, I, I see more people talking about alternative ideas now. So I feel like we're kind of in, in a sort of a renaissance of ufology right now. I know people always like to cry, ufology's dead. You know, MUFON's falling apart. Well, it's it's the old order that's kind of dying off. Right. And yeah, I agree with that. You're seeing a, a real renaissance in the ideas going on right now. I agree. I agree. My only sort of like, I I I caution you against the against falling victim to the UFO bubble that I've been talking about on the show for the last few weeks, and that's just like the mm-hmm. um the perception of what you of what ufology is to us is like way different from what it is to um, the people who, uh, as I said, are like are the passive consumers. You know what I mean? Because oh yeah, for sure. I've been yeah. running this story up on the flagpole like for weeks on the show, where it's like everybody, everybody I know and respect in the field 
uh, with the exception of a few people who have since done so, um, had no interest or paid no attention to the Stephen Greer movie. And mm-hmm. rightfully so. Yeah. I'm not like, I'm not like, oh, it's the next Citizen Kane. Um, but the point being, like, I've I've now run into three people who, uh, and that's not that's not a great sample, but you know, I don't talk to that many people about the subject mm-hmm. actually. But I'm sure if I did, I'd probably the number would be higher. Who ask about the Stephen Greer movie because they've seen it, <laughs> and it's like yeah. these are the people who watch the Ancient Aliens and stuff. So it's like they they you know. I, I feel like there's this concurrent underground that we're a part of that, that you're sensing. It's like mm-hmm. of alternative thinkers now who are like they're, – they're just rehashing the same st- – uh, the people who are talking about ETH are just rehashing the same stories over and over again. But mm-hmm. I'm not sure if it's like making a dent in the, in the everyday person. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean in, in Twitter parlance um, – the normies are all the ones who kind of watch the Stephen Greer movie. And like, I mean, I, I had the same thing happen. I was talking to this guy who's a kind of a cool hippie-ish guy I work with and, you know, talking to him about my interest in UFOs. And he was like, oh, you, do, do you know about Dr. Stephen Greer and his stuff? And I was like, <laughs> yeah, I, I do. <laughs> and yeah, it was kind of like a jest and that, that's kind of what, how they think about the topic. And, you know, it's, it's kind of the job of the sort of underground that we're a part of and to – sort of disrupt that, you know? Absolutely. To get yeah. that out there that, that this isn't, that kind of isn't the only idea out there. And the interesting thing, because uh, I saw you've written about Greg's ideas about the co-creation process, it's like to take it to a mm-hmm. super broad scale, it's like it is somewhat um, maybe disconcerting. I'm not sure that like the, that that if the, if the, if the main sort of hive mind of the planet is that these are aliens, like, mm-hmm. I, is it something that's unstoppable? Like, have we, are we going to manifest mm. this as the aliens? You know what I'm saying? It's like, maybe we're in a race against time to try and be like, it's not aliens, dude. Like, it's like a horror movie. Where we're <laughs> going to be like, it's not aliens. It's like, like Safe <laughs> Up Marshmallow Man style. We're going to conjure these aliens. Yeah, we're sort of like the, uh, like the petite Collins elite, basically. Like, we've got a keep everybody from believing it's UFOs so they don't get their souls sucked out. Yeah, exactly. But, yeah, <laughs> you know, I just, I mean, I just recently read Nick's uh, final events and yeah, I mean, the idea that, that it's intentionally presenting itself in a, a fashion that makes it look extraterrestrial. Uh, it, there's something to say for that. Um, but I also, you know, I, I kind of also I don't necessarily see things in that way. Like you know, I don't I don't believe they're demonic or whatever the Collins elite say. But I I do kind of go down the uh, Jungian rabbit hole and kind of think of them as uh, manifestations of like you know physical manifestations of our sort of collective unconscious, our collective anxieties and fears. And lately I've been looking at it from just social perspective in that you know the sort of meta narrative of humans being cogs in a machine and that, you know, the, the earth is a garden and that we're, we're basically grown as cattle for these, you know, sort of non-human entities. This narrative that kind of emerged after the industrial revolution. Um, it's not something I think you saw in previous mythology, aside from sort of, you know, succubus, incubi kind of things and, and you know, kind of like vampire type myths, but it just came in this whole kind of industrial scale after the industrial revolution. Yeah. And, my whole kind of thing I've been working on recently is the idea that it is a reflection of, of man's 
sort of angst at the way capitalism exploits people and the way we're, we feel like we're caught up in this giant machine and it's just sucking all of our blood out. You know, we're, we're all working more, we're getting paid less, and we all feel like our, our fate is completely out of our hands. And so we feel like cattle, you know, just kind of going up to the slaughterhouse. And that is reflected in our mythology. You know, it's reflected in what we see in the skies. We've always seen things in the skies, and I feel like in a way they always kind of reflect the anxieties of the time. And they sort of manifest themselves around moments in history that are full of turmoil, like, you know, the huge UFO flaps during, uh, right after World War II, you know, during World War II, uh, like during the Cold War, after the fall of the Soviet Union. You know, you, start, you see all these sort of flaps happen, and now you're seeing, you know, people are seeing Mothman in Chicago, and we're certainly living in a country right now that is at, in turmoil. And so, I mean, I, I honestly think that, you know, you hear a lot of people say, okay, well, there hasn't been a big UFO flap in years in America. It's been a long time. I think we're about to see another one right now. I was now. just going to say, I mean, where are the fucking UFOs, dude? How much more turmoil yeah, you I've, need? <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. But, but this interesting thing. What if they're not going to manifest as UFOs this time? You know, we've got planes in the sky. We've got jets. We've got drones. What if it's going to manifest in some way that isn't aerial or that isn't what we think it would be traditionally? You know? What if it's like the clowns? I was just going to say, the clowns, yeah. Yeah, yeah, as ridiculous as it sounds, it's like, yeah, yeah, because really the idea is it's like a, it's like a mania, it's like a hysteria, not so much that even about the phenomenon itself. It's just like, yeah, a hysteria grips people. Yeah, and I want to be clear too. Like, I don't necessarily think that it's all in people's heads, whatever. I mean, UFOs leave physical evidence. I mean, I, I think these things are, are sort of physical psychic manifestations, and they're you know, and in a way, I do believe in non-human intelligences. I believe that we're not the only the only inhabitants of this sort of universe we live in. And that, you know, I mean, that's where kind of my occult stuff comes in because, you know, I believe it's entirely possible to communicate with, with these things. Um, it's just that my sort of thoughts on it are they're so alien to us. I mean, alien in a way that we can't even understand. Right, right. That in order to communicate with us, for whatever reason they have to communicate with us, they have to build a context out of our own collective archetypes, our own sort of language and, and pop culture ideas, our own mimetic sphere in order to communicate with us. Sort of similar how, you know, you can't talk to your dog. You know, your dog doesn't understand English. Um, it understands, like, your metaphors. It understands symbology. Right, and that's, right, yeah. in a way, it's communicating to us symbolically. Yeah, you can establish, like, rudimentary communication with a dog, uh but it's, mm -hmm. yeah, I see exactly what you're saying. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. I mean, I do. I don't know how you feel. It's like because I kind of I shook off the ETH a long time ago too. Because like the deeper you get into this, um, and the more serious you are about it, you have to like, you almost have to like, reduce like <laughs> yeah. drastically reduce like <laughs> the percentage of it being the ETH. Um, mm -hmm. But at the same time. Like, as a child of, like, pop culture and all these, you know, as someone who grew up on the ETH, it's, like, it's really still hard to, like, let go of that idea. You know what I mean? Like, there'll like always be a part of me that's, like, it could be all this stuff, but there's always the chance that aliens are coming here. It just seems like a Occam's razor, you know what I mean? I always sort of hold hold a candle for the ETH because it's, like, it's kind of what I, what I grew up on, you know? Even though I, like, I, 
I, I like shake my fist at sort of like people that that promote it in some sense because it's like you don't know shit, dude. <laughs> we don't know if it's aliens. Yeah. But at the same yeah, time, we, I yeah, we don't know. I hope it is in a sense because it's like that would probably be the easiest for me to be get used to. <laughs> to. <laughs> yeah, you know, like I. I don't necessarily rule out the possibility that there are some sightings of what we could deem extraterrestrial craft based on sort of my own ideas about futurism and about, you know, artificial intelligence. I'm I'm pretty sure that if we come across or if we have a sighting of some sort of actual craft or whatever from a completely different star system, that it's going to probably be a drone. It's going to be an AI. It's going to be like what we send out because I don't think that space itself is a great medium for organic life to exist in, Yeah. especially over long-distance travel. It's just never going to work. Like, you know, I, people have this idea in their head that you know, one day we're going to fly around in the stars like, uh, like in Star Trek, and I just don't think that's going to happen. I mean, it, it would be cool and all, but people are fleshy blobs of water and blood and, and just – we live in a magnetic field. Like we just, we're not meant to be in space. So it doesn't make sense to send us into space. It makes sense to send artificial intelligence that can think like us into space. That doesn't have all the hangups of an organic body. Yeah. And the vulnerabilities and and stuff. Yeah. 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 I mean like, and so it's possible that we have encountered what I would, you know, say just drones from some other place. There's a really interesting, um, like one of my favorite authors is Robert Monroe, mm-hmm. uh, who wrote the sort of Journeys Out of Body books. Um, there's a part in one of his books where he's kind of being shown uh, Earth when on, on some date in the future where mankind like finally mentally kind of extends to a higher plane, plane of existence. Um, and he's kind of being shown this by his sort of non-human buddy, travel guardian angel guy who travels around with him. And he sees all these weird kind of like shapes around the moon. And he's like, what are those? And he's like, oh, those are aliens. <laughs> and he's like, what? And he's like, yeah, they're, they're here to see the show. Like, like, you know, like they're not normally here, but they just came here because, you know, it's a big deal. You know, humanity is ascending. So they're all coming to see the show. Hmm. And I sort of think that's how it would end up. You know, it would be like, I, I think actual contact or whatever would be exceedingly rare. Just because space is big, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Really I, I'm not in. I, I'm in agreement with you on that. It's kind of like. Yeah. It takes the, a long ass time to travel places. Right, right, and like we're just doing a lousy job of it anyway here. Mm. You know what I mean? Where it's like. Yeah. You're you're uh, you know you're only a few years younger than me, so therefore we both like never saw them even walk on them. Like they never went back to the moon. You know, they've never gone to the moon in my lifetime. It's like, what what was this weird one-off achievement? You know, putting aside all the conspiracy theories and stuff, it's just like, what do we, you know, from a a pure history books, you know, as they tell it to us, like, thing, it's like, what did, why is it taking us so long to do all this, you know, it should be, it should be like in our, in our ethos to, I mean, that's how they, they conquered the new world. I know it took years and years and years, but still, like, it seems like it's going awfully slow in comparison. I'm sure there'll be someone listening who's like, well, between the date that the ships went, you know, and he'll explain, <laughs> explain to me yeah, the colonization I'm, of America, but uh, I, I think you know what I'm saying. It's like, it's just, it's a frustrating. I, I like to tell the story. When I first got into this, I uh, went to the first X conference, and I called Steve Bassett to get the tickets for it, 
And he, he was like, oh, he's like, how old are you? You know, and I was like 25. And he's like, oh, you're going to be going to the moon. You're going to be flying all over space. You're going to be out there in the stars. And it's like, you know, I'm almost 40 now, man. And it's not happening. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going well, out to the that's stars. That's the problem, you know. That's the problem. You know, one of the reasons, you know, the Drake equation aside, I, I think one of the problems, and I think Carl Sagan mentioned this too, there's a lot of dangers civil, like civilization on planets. Assuming that any other species, I mean, I'm sure there's life elsewhere in the universe, right? Of course there's like life yeah. in some fashion or another. Now, if it's intelligent life that has built cities and spacecrafts and things like that, I believe that's probably a lot more rare. And especially the, like, especially rare in the long term. Because I believe that civilized sort of races of intelligent beings are like flashes in the pan because they, they grow up and they kill themselves. Right, right. You know, like, it's not going to be too much longer, you know, before we're not even going to have the resources to leave this planet ever again. You know, we're putting so much junk in space, we're going to shell ourselves in. We're destroying the planet as it is. You know, we're, right. we're going to end up wiping ourselves out before we ever make it to the stars. And I think that's the same fate that befalls a lot of, you know, theoretical extraterrestrial civilizations. And that's why you're probably never going to run into them because they, they, they pop up. They last for a couple thousand years. They blow themselves up. You know, if we, if we find the extraterrestrial you know, civilization, it's going to be the ruins of an extraterrestrial civilization. Yeah, on Mars with a face. Uh, <laughs> hey man, I, I love I, the face on Mars. I hope it's. I really actually yeah, really do. Love I, the I'm face I'm pretty bullish on the Mars thing for yeah. real. Like I no, I actually am too. That's know, why I said it. <laughs> yeah, I I really like you know if I I'm really hate the idea of Mars colonization because I think Mars is a terrible like place to colonize. But as an archaeological thing. Like, yeah, we should definitely go to Mars just to see, just to see if that stuff is ruined. Because if it is, it could teach us a lot. But if it's not, well, you know, we went to Mars. It's, it's a good enough goal on its own with the added bonus of maybe, you know, seeing the ruins of some extraterrestrial civilization that killed itself, you know, millions of years ago. Exactly. Well, I, I have like two thoughts springing from this, this conversation. Uh, the first is just like, you, you know, you were talking about um, – talking about uh, – the the I, oh you in one of your blog posts you mentioned um, you know the idea of like a control system and you mentioned how mm-hmm. like in you know in the past it was like the 50s and 60s and the contactees it was all about you know don't do these nuclear weapons and then it was like oh the earth you got to save the earth and stuff and it's one almost wonders if regardless of the source of this control system or something it's like you almost wonder if we reached a point at somewhere after the war, when the, when the quote-unquote aliens or the UFOs started showing up, uh, that, like, mm-hmm. that was a pivot point that that we, you know, that that was the moment we had to make a choice or go in the right direction. And it's like, maybe we just didn't. Mm-hmm. And, and that's why, that's yeah. why that story ended. It's like, all right, they're not yeah. going to, they're not going to, like, they're not going to straighten this out. They're not going to, you know, conceive of an idea where there's, they're part of a much larger universe, and there's other people out there. They're just wholly concerned with themselves. So let's, you know, let's just like their lost cause. You know, I hope that's not the case. Yeah. But then you see the world like crumbling before our eyes, and it's like, well, you know, we didn't. The future doesn't look bright as far as, you know, maybe like a hundred years from now or something like that. If we can make it, mm-hmm. 
through the current turmoil, but the near term just seems like more of the same of of sort of like this consumerism and and, and nation states and that kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, you know, to be completely frank, like capitalism is killing capitalism. The that's what I meant to say. And, uh, yeah. and unless we find a way to live on this planet in a way that we prevent massive damage to the ecosystem, so, well, let me put it this way: the planet's going to be fine, right? We are not. Like we could do all kinds of horrible crap to this planet, and it's going to survive. It may take it another million years before you know life kind of starts crawling back out of the oceans. But it's going to be fine, but we're not, you know. So we've got to figure out a way not to commit suicide as a species. And right, exactly. The way we've been saying. going since the Industrial Revolution is, is going to lead us to suicide. We're, we're heading for a cliff, and we're just, you know, hitting the gas. Because it's, you know, because I, I, I don't want to get too much into conspiracy theory, but sort of my ideas around why, um, you know, you see increased police militarization – you see increased like draining of wealth to like the top, you know, one percent of one percent is because I believe that there is a sort of group of people who are kind of betting on there to be a major disaster or there be a major die offs and they're just gonna hole out, you know, hole up in their McMansions and just wait it out while the you know, middle class and the lower classes kind of tear each other to shreds. Yeah. And they're going to be protected by their police with tanks and, you know, military weapons. And then they'll get to have their utopia. You know, once, once the, uh, once the planet is, has, you know, uh, an eighth of the human population it used to, well, everything's going to be great again, you know, for them. Yeah. I mean, as, <laughs> I mean, as grim a scenario as you painted, it, 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 it's entirely plausible in my eyes. Yeah. That that's exactly what's yeah. happening, you know. That that yeah. That, I mean that's that's why it seems like they don't care, you know. That's why there's all the denial. It's because they're that's what they're banking on. I mean, I, I just heard a I listened to a really good show earlier about uh, sort of the oil company's response to climate change. Like uh, Mobile was doing research on climate change using real you know real scientists and everything back in the 70s, and they realized what was going on. They actually raised the level of their oil rigs to compensate for what they knew <laughs> was going to be the eventual sea level rise. And then immediately they started pushing this narrative that it's all a myth. It's, it's not going to happen. You know, it's like, it's all just bad signs. Even, they knew it was, <laughs> that's why they raised their rigs. Like, yeah. you know, and they that's know, crazy. and I, I think they're banking on it. But yeah, it would, it to would, go back to something I was going to, go or go ahead. No, no, I, I, I was just going to say it wouldn't surprise me in the least. <laughs> that, that that's what's going on because yeah there's yeah why do all these people need all this you know. yeah yeah it definitely seems like there's a hoarding <laughs> like a, like a weird hoarding going on that's beyond yeah. like the, you know the old thing where it's like how much money do you need it's like yeah there's something there's a reason why and maybe it's not when they average too uh, great yeah I mean the average salary or like of a of workers in America hasn't kept up with rises in um, productivity since like the 1960s. The average CEO makes 500 times annual, annual salary than what they made back then. It's like, why? I mean, I mean, even heard, there was a, I uh, wish I could name the magazine that had it. There's a great article about the really, like it was anonymous interviews of people who are really rich. Like people don't understand how rich, really rich people are. Like if you had a billion dollars, you'd have to spend $64,000 a day and it would still take you like 80 years to run out or something. My math is oh, wow. probably wrong on that, but 
you get the idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like one of these one of these people they quoted in this interview was like, if people really knew how rich I was, they wouldn't stand for it. You know? Yeah. Like they're scared. Like they know that it's fucked up. You know, they know that things are messed up. Yeah, for and sure. Yeah. They're, but on a tangent, but like <laughs> before, I was I was going to mention something about extraterrestrials, in that, in a way, I've sort of built almost a synthesis in my head of that mixes sort of the ETH with some of my other ideas. Yeah. In that, I think there are what you could call extraterrestrial entities communicating with people on Earth or on Earth or whatever. But I think they don't travel here physically. Like, as someone who's had out-of-body experiences, if you read literature about out-of-body experiences, one of the things you learn is that things like time, distance, they don't mean anything anymore. Right, right. You can pop from here to Jupiter in an instant, you know? And so we already have the technology to travel to the stars, you know, we already have the technology to travel to other star systems and explore the universe, and it's something that anybody can do. You know, it's in this realm of woo that most people aren't willing to, to experiment with or even sometimes even just entertain. Yeah. And, you know, if it's something that we can do, why can't some extraterrestrial on some other planet halfway across the universe also do it? You know? Maybe yeah, some entities that we see, that, that's what's happening. You know, maybe they're traveling here out of body. You know, it seems like, and and that makes it even more important for us to protect this planet because maybe our planet is our spaceship, if that makes sense, you know? I see. Like, we are hurtling through the universe, you know? Maybe we're already on the colony ship, and the colony ship is called Earth, and it's orbiting a sun that's traveling. Because, I mean, people don't realize this, but, you know, we're not just, the sun isn't still in space either. Like, our whole solar system is expanding out away from other solar systems, you know, at incredible speeds. Yeah, it's churning. So... You know, we're we're traveling through space as is right now. And so, you know, maybe this is this is our place and then you know, I and I've got thoughts about how, you know, the sort of electromagnetic field of the earth, like we evolved in it and I, I have serious doubts about what would happen if a human being stayed for like a long period of time outside of the electromagnetic field. Like that's that's one reason I think we may have not went to Mars yet, because we don't understand how that's gonna like affect people, right? Because right. even the moon and you know low Earth orbit, you're still within that magnetic field. And once you get far enough away from that, especially to a place like Mars that doesn't have a magnetic field at all, like how is that going to affect just you know bodily processing? Yeah, I mean the and whole idea of like think- turning Mars into like another Earth is like so. It's like folks, we can't even go back. We haven't been back to the moon in like 50 years. <laughs> like there's no, there's just no. I I love to see. I I pray to God at the very least I can see someone step on Mars in my lifetime. I'll settle for that. But like the idea of like people living on Mars, like if there's such a thing as reincarnation, it'll be like our next iteration, you know, or our th- our third iteration uh, around that we'll ever see that. Man, this is no way. Yeah. 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 It's it's something that it's just it's kind of a pie in the sky idea because the technology that we would need to turn Mars into something even remotely Earth-like is just uh, extraordinary. Like, a lot of people forget that Mars has, like, uh, it only has, like, two-thirds of the gravity of Earth. Like, you lose 30% gravity there, and you, people don't understand how that would affect people growing up on Mars. Like, if you grew up on Mars, you'd never be able to come to Earth. 
Like you would be, if we send people to colonize Mars to live on Mars, they're going to be Martians. Like they're not going to be Earthlings anymore. Like they'll never be able to come back to Earth. Oh yeah, exactly. You know, we're going to create a hard fork in the human species. That's just the way things are going to be. Like if we if we're going to live on other planets, we're going to have to like if we're if we're going to like go ahead with this sort of quixotic idea of putting organic life on other planets, then we're going to have to genetically engineer people to live on those planets. You know. Yeah. It's not going to be something that we can just stick a normal human being on Mars and expect their body to function in the same way. Well, it's like I'm sure they've explored this in sci-fi movies, but it's like a fascinating mm-hmm. idea in, in the way where it's like you'd. It's a weird uh, conundrum for people talk about creating art- artificial intelligence, and it's like, what are we doing? You know, but the same thing could happen in the sense where it's like we we created this different race of people on another planet that grew up next to us. We sent them there originally hundreds of years ago, mm-hmm. and now they're like completely different from us, and they hate us. That's yeah. like, you know what I mean. That's like <laughs> it's like a yeah. classic human nature, no matter where 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 you are in in space or where they're gods or something. Who knows? You know, that would be, yeah. <laughs> I'm writing sci-fi movies here tonight, but yeah, that would be I mean, interesting. Just something interesting I thought about too. I mean, as much as I'm kind of like, I used to be a big kind of earth lights guy. Like I thought that, you know, oh, well, maybe UFOs and stuff are just earth lights and they're, they're oh, like a ball light magnetic exactly. anomalies. Yeah. Yeah. And they're like, kind of like scrambling people's brains because of like a really strong magnetic field or something. Uh, I've moved on from that idea, but I, I do wonder, would people see UFOs on Mars? Oh, that's interesting. You know? Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Well, that goes to like, the whole and, uh, idea of like, oh, the, the astronaut, what the <laughs> astronauts saw and everything. Cause even that's like so secretive. Yeah. You know, I've also thought, too, like, did dinosaurs see UFOs? You know? Are they a uniquely human experience? You know? But that's, that's why I'm, I'm, yeah. I was really interested. I know I wanted Josh to write. I know Josh is he's doing like his changeling book, but I really wanted him. Uh, he mentioned one time writing a book about the way animals react. Yeah, so I suggested that book to him. We were talking. We were, yeah. During the drunk phone call the other night, we were talking about <laughs> getting around to writing that book eventually. So uh, yeah. yeah, it was still. It's still an idea that uh, that I yeah I would like. I would like him to explore, and if he's going to, I'll explore it with him because I, I think it's like it may not be the, it may not, may not provide us with any answers, but it may illuminate you know some new way of looking at this. You know. Well, you know, I've heard people mention that we're not going to get any further in the study of this thing or any closer to any semblance of what's going on if we just keep looking at lights in the sky and keep writing reports. You know how big was it if you hold a quarter out, right, you know, right. that kind of thing. We've got to look at the margins. We've got to look at the sort of the shadow of the thing in order to figure out what its shape is. And looking at things like that, – that's why I respect Josh, and that's why I love his work, because he's looking at things people haven't looked at before, looking at the smells, looking at things uh, people Foods eat, and stuff, like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, he's done yeah, some if you, amazing work. Yeah, and that's the kind of stuff we're going to have to do because – we're just going to keep chasing our tails forever if we keep documenting lights in the sky. You know, that's why I don't, you know, I, I don't care about a lot of modern, modern ufology because of the fact that it's just, I'm more of an ideas guy. Like, you know, it's cool. Like your UFO stories are cool. You know, it's like, it was a giant triangle. You know, we watched it for 15 minutes. It 
shine a light and it was looking around in this field. Like that's that's really spooky, it's cool and all, but it doesn't really get me any closer to any ideas or figuring anything out. You know, like I want to know what it's something like uh, Valet said about everyone's watching the theater screen. Like I want to look back and look at the projector. You know, I want to go in the projector's booth and see who's who's putting on this show. Because exactly, so yeah. much of the phenomena is theatrical in nature. Yeah, it's interesting. It, it's it's a complex topic. Well, he, I want to talk about your interest in the occult because that's a big part of like your your research. Mm-hmm. And I, I I I guess the ba- first I guess I guess tell us a little bit about it. But I want you to lead to, to this story mm-hmm. where you say you conversed with the demon. You believe you conversed with the demon Orions after performing the invocation of the four kings. So it's like, what, what is, that's, that's a, you know, that's a pretty, that sounds like quite the story. So I'd like to hear it. Um, what, what happened with that and sort of, I guess, talk a little bit because the occult is very confusing to people. It's confusing to me mm-hmm. in general. Just so, so I guess give us sort of like your thumbnail idea of what this, because this is like incantations and, and rituals and, mm-hmm. and whatnot. So I guess talk a little bit, give us the, give us the rundown. Okay. Let me put it this way. You could think about the occult in several different ways. In one fashion, you've got things like like spells and and, sigil magic and that sort of thing, where you can manipulate probability and manipulate the world around you uh, by doing certain operations, using consciousness as your medium. Um, This is something that is well documented. Uh, I encourage everybody to try it. You know, at worst you're just going to feel silly and waste, you know, a couple hours of your life. At best, it's going to make the world a whole lot stranger. Because it's something that that everyone can do, and used to be commonplace. Hmm. You know, until sort of like I think I've heard Gordon White refer to it as a uh, decline technology. Because it's exactly what it is. It's a technology. It's a science. It's a way that people can interact with the universe around them, change things, document those changes, and then use the scientific method to, to further their practice. I mean, do experiments, report your results to other people. Now, let me, them, you know. let me jump in just to – I'm loving this. I just, this is my question mm-hmm. that, that haunts me in a sense because I see a lot of mm-hmm. people uh, who are involved with this um, – this isn't like one of those, oh, don't do it, it's a Ouija board thing. I don't care about that because <laughs> I, I, I'm like the opposite. It's like where does someone even begin? Like you you say, and I'm not, I don't mean to, I'm not like laughing at this. I'm just sort of laughing at like how uh, lost I am in a sense where it's like you say you perform the invocation of the four kings. Like where does, where does one who is listening to this program right now like actually go to get some of this, some of these incantations and, and rituals and occult mm-hmm offerings or whatever um to try it for themselves you know what i'm saying because like you're saying oh if you you know what everyone should try it it's like how how do i try it so how how does one try it (laughs) well i mean there's go to the occult book section in your local store i mean something uh something grant morrison said when people interviewed him about his belief in the occult and he said you know i was a teenager i was reading books by alistair crowley and and other people that said if you said this word and that word and you drew a circle and you lit some incense, a demon would appear and he thought he was full of crap. So he tried it and then a freaking demon appeared 
So he had to sort of radically shift his worldview. And it's just, you know, like, there, like I got the ritual from uh, Gordon White's The Chaos Protocols, which mm-hmm. is an excellent book. Um, there's just uh, millions of books you can do. I mean, That's I, I recommend trying to look at it's modern. Like you don't know what – it's yeah. almost like ufology. It's like am I, am I picking up a book – you know, uh, am I yeah. am I picking up a book by Kutch that's good, or am I, you know, getting some crazy, mm-hmm. <laughs> some crazy garbage? You know, it's like so. What I, I tell everyone, if they want to get started, if you want to start doing magic right now, mm-hmm. all you got to do is read Grant Morrison's Pop Magic. It's online. It's free. You don't have to pay a dime. It doesn't cost anything to do. And watch his talk at the Disinfo uh, event, the Disinfo conference. Uh, it's on YouTube, and just try it. Like, I mean, if you just want to, if you want to do something to change the world around you and something that I, I can tell you, it works. <laughs> like, I mean, I, I can't put it any more simply than that. It works. Uh, just try it. And yeah, just go read Grant Morrison's pop magic. It's the, it's simple. It's like not even, it's like 10 pages. It's not even long. Oh, wow. You can read it in 30 minutes. Nice. And it, I mean, it'll blow open the doors <laughs> to the universe for All you. All right. Because you can see what and, I'm saying. And you can like, kind of this branch stuff out sounds awesome, but at the same time, like yeah. from someone who's on the outside looking at it, it's like, where are these guys getting all this stuff? All right, so that's interesting. <laughs> yeah, so uh, on the other hand, you have, and this is sort of what I'm deep into right now, is, is like grimoire magic, like uh, contacting spirits, talking to demons, that sort of thing. Um, if people ever used a Ouija board, they've done something similar. You think about it like a phone book. A grimoire is a phone book. It tells you all the demons' numbers. It tells you what they're, you know, what, how to call them, and like what they're what they're good at, what they can help you with, what they're like. Uh, some of them are, you know, jerks. Some of them are helpful, and you know, you do the procedure, and they appear. And I mean. That's the thing. A lot of people don't don't think it'll happen. I mean, I didn't think it would happen until I did it. Grant Morrison didn't think it would happen until you do it. But when you do it and it happens, suddenly the world's a lot weirder. Yeah. Um, I mean, in, in my case, I was just doing uh, this thing called the headless rite, which is um, it's sort of a way to get I don't know, full of juju. It's like a ritual that you you know you say all these things, you say you know make all these spirits subject unto me and. It's cool, and, you know, I was kind of just doing it. What do you mean full uh, of juju, just sort of, like, amped up? Kind of get you all charged up. Yeah, I feel you full of, uh, full of, I guess, as silly as it sounds, magical energy. Just, like, sort of, right. you know, getting you pumped up. Okay. So, I mean, you can think about this thing on a psychological level. Like, a lot of the ritual and things like that, yeah, it's just theatrics. It's just to get you in the mood and get you pumped up. Is there meditation but involved? Because in some... I'm, like, terrible at that. You can. Uh, I'll get to that. I don't want to. Part of the story. <laughs> I don't want. I don't want. I don't want to meditate. I'm terrible at it. But all right. So, so you don't. You okay. don't have to be. You don't have to be good at it. I'm not good at it either. Trust me. <laughs> so, I, I do this headless right, and, and the cast particles Gordon suggests following it up with the uh, the invocation of the four kings, which mm-hmm. basically uh, sort of similar how there's four archangels. There's on the verse, flip side, there's four demon kings. Uh, you know, one for each cardinal direction. So you know you. You face each direction, and you say this invocation. You offer it some rum and a little bowl I had. Kind of did the whole thing. And, you know, it was like uh, your girlfriend was out of town. It was uh, kind of a nice spooky night. Uh, had some candles burning, some incense, you know, nice and low. Very creepy environment to be doing this in. So afterwards, I decided, you know, I, I did this thing. Like, let's just sit here 
in the dark, you know, just sit here and be quiet and just look at the candles and just see what happens. Because I, I felt kind of charged up, you know, like, yeah. let's see what happens if I just sit here. And you're by yourself. And I kind of right? wanted to, yeah, I'm by myself, yeah. Yep. I kind of wanted to talk to, because I, I really think the, the Demon King Paimon's cool. Like, I wanted to talk to Paimon. And I sort of just said in my head, like, hey, if you're around, like, show up. I want to talk to you. And I was facing uh, the west, which is his direction. And then suddenly I felt like someone was standing behind me. Um, and I got really creeped out. Like the room, you'll see this time and time again when people talk about when these spirits appear, that it's like, it's like that Oz effect, you know? Like the room just feels heavy all of a sudden. Yeah. And that's what it felt like. And I felt like someone was standing right behind me. I didn't want to turn around because I felt like on one hand, if I turned around, there wouldn't be anybody there. And it would just sort of, you know, break the effect. And, mm, you know, yeah. I was feeling it, you know. You kind of get like in a kind of a trance, you know. You start to sort of just feeling yourself. Yeah, you know? it makes sense. I mean, so, people say like when you have deja vu, you should try and like go with it in a sense. So it's like I can see like it yeah. would – I could – yeah, I could see kind of like yeah. you feel that presence – yeah, it's almost like a, a yeah. completely different thing. Like if you see a, see a Bigfoot in the woods or something, it's like you don't run at it. You just yeah. stand there and like look at it. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. it's kind of the same reaction. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't want to. I didn't want to break the moment. Um, and I'll get back to this in a second because that was apparently the wrong thing to do. But we'll we'll get to that in a moment. Oh no. So I was like, you know, I was like, you know, are you? I just said out loud, are you Paimon? Are you? You know, did you come? And then I, I just felt like whatever it was was pissed off. Like, you know, you can kind of feel like somebody's mad at you. Yeah. Like, I just sort of felt like it was, like, irritated. And I felt this kind of – it's really hard to explain this, but it feels like a, like, a, like a movement through the back of my body. Like, someone was reaching into the back of my body, like, just cold hands and was just, like, pulling things out of me. Yikes. And it, was, it felt weird. It didn't hurt, but it just felt really weird. Was it scary you know, or were you like, just kind of like – it wasn't really scary. It was more just like I felt like it was like mad at me, you know, like, yeah, yeah. like you know, I said the wrong thing. Like it's it's pissed off and now it's like, you know, slashing at me or something. So I was like, well, if it's coming from behind me, that's the east. So I was like, are you Orients? And everything stopped. Like the, you know, the feeling of the ice cold kind of hands through me stopped. And it, it felt like it was waiting. It was like, yeah, you got it right. You know, what do you want? You know, and at this point, I'm kind of like freaking out a little bit because I don't know what to talk about. I didn't know what to ask it. You know? Yeah. It's kind of like you know, did you ever like call up a girl you liked and you don't know what to say? You know, you're sort of like surprised that they even answer the phone. Yeah, yeah. It's kind Absolutely. of like that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, well, what do I do now? <laughs> you know? Uh, yeah, I've got this literally like a demon king behind me, and I don't. Yeah, know what to it's say. like when things go your way. So, it's like, yeah, when you, <laughs> you never really like. I'm, yeah, I'm of the same mindset. I'm like one of those people. Yeah, where it's like, oh, oh shit, it worked. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I'm kind of got this moment where I'm like, uh, so I, you know, I, I asked it a couple things. Like I had some things going on in my life that I, I want to change. Not like material things, just things about my personality that I kind of wanted to be different. Mm-hmm. And so I asked it those kind of things. Like, hey, could you help me do this? And like, I kind of, you know, felt like it was listening. I didn't hear anything yet. You know, I just kind of, but I felt like it was listening. And then I said, uh, in return, because I felt like I should offer it something back, um, which apparently is a bad idea, because you're supposed to just tell it what to do. <laughs> you're not supposed to make deals. But I said, I'll tell everyone what a cool guy you are. <laughs> and It's just like, call it, it's just, yeah, it's just like, <laughs> yeah, go on. <laughs> 
<laughs> and in my head, I heard a laugh. Like I heard, <laughs> almost as if it were like just sort of laughing at it. Like, like maybe I thought it was funny or maybe it was kind of like, what could you possibly do to increase the glory of a king? You know, like, <laughs> what is that? But I sort of felt like it was satisfied. Like it was like, okay, whatever. Yeah, I'll help you out. And and then I felt I said, okay, thanks. Like you know, you're you're free to go. Like thanks for sh- you know showing up and everything. And I felt that just weight in the room just lift. And you know, I, I got up. I sort of like put turn the lights back on, put the candles out, and I just felt like really wild. You know, like like what did I just experience? Yeah. And you know, it, it was it was odd because I didn't really call him you know he just kind of showed up like was he just in the neighborhood and I, like when i looked into this later and i was talking to aaron david who does the uh, charm the water podcast about this um you know he asked me what day of the what day of the week it was it was apparently his day of the week that i did this ritual on without realizing it i did the, it on the equinox the, the orient or not the equinox the solstice or whatever yeah yeah it was like his day and he asked me like what kind of incense were you burning i said i was burning frankincense he's like yeah that's his incense and I was like, oh, <laughs> I didn't know this. Um, and then I was sort of like, he's like, did it rain the next day? And I was like, yeah. He's like, well, yeah, he's the king of storms. So he showed up and it made it rain the next day. And I was like, what? And even later, I was just listening to uh, an episode of the Higher Set Chats with uh, Stephen Skinner, who's written a lot of books. Uh, actually, if, you're, if your listeners want a good authoritative place to go for kind of books on grimoire stuff, there's no better source than Stephen Skinner's books. They're kind of expensive, but they're worth it. Like his copy of Dr. Rudd's Goetia is excellent so far. I've been going through it. So Skinner said that you're never supposed to face away from a demon when they show up because it's disrespectful. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, like that would have been great to know when it happened. Um, also, too, you're supposed to have a magic circle cast and all these protection stuff. I didn't have any of that. Um, so far, there's been no ill effects because – one of the cool things that happened was like when I started reading about Orion's reading, like what he does, what he provides, because each spirit kind of provides certain things to a magician. Like they can provide and it's in the grimoires. It's always kind of like old timey language, like to help you find treasures or like, you know, provide you a familiar or whatever. Um, but that's one thing Orion's is good at. Apparently He's, he gives great familiars so he can give you people to help you out. And an interesting thing happened like a week after that ritual, I like some people that I haven't talked to in months suddenly came back into my life and were like helping me work on projects and stuff. And it was almost like he brought them. I mean, I don't know, maybe it was just a coincidence, but it's certainly the timing was certainly, certainly telling. And another weird thing that happened is the fact that um, I haunted the crap out of my house by doing this. Ah. It only lasted a week or so. But for the next week, I just I would hear footsteps in the house. My my girlfriend was out of town; she was visiting her parents at the time. It was just me and the dog. My dog has three legs, so like it has a very <laughs> kind of like you know distinct hop that it does. It doesn't sound like a person. But when I would be like downstairs in my office, I would hear somebody walking around upstairs, and you know the dog would just be asleep on the bed. So you know I had, like, poltergeist activity. I would always feel like something was watching me. I would hear like whispers, laughter, that sort of thing. Did you start to get freaked out? And the way I rationalized, a little bit. I mean, it was kind of scary. It was like all by myself at night. Like it was weird. The demon stuff didn't didn't scare me, but you know, hearing stuff walking around my house in the middle of the night that's way more scary. Because on one level, it's like is somebody in my house? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. 
people don't. That's way more scary to me than anything else. Um, <coughs> yeah, exactly. People are always like, oh, you're scary because you live in a haunted house. It's like, no, dude. It's like I'm hearing noises. <laughs> like, I, you should be concerned. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and over the course of about a week, it started to fade less. And now I haven't, I haven't heard anything, you know, in, in months. So now it, I gotta it's ask, almost like a residual effect. I got to ask, because the way you describe these, I mean, maybe I miss it at some point, but it's like mm-hmm. you describe these different characters as like as demons. Um, mm-hmm. Well, I guess like what's the sort of connotation of that in a sense? Because you obviously, people, you know, they hear demon and they immediately are like, mm-hmm. get, you know, imagine the worst case scenario. <laughs> so these, why are they called demons and are they the, I, I, I'm kind of feeling like maybe they're not the, they're more like gods or something. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, you could just use the catch-all term spirit. I mean, uh, they're just okay. spirits. Um, some, in some cases, demons are pagan gods that were, uh, like, you know, Astarte or something that were then changed to demons in, in Hebrew folklore and that kind of thing. A lot of these, they, they're called demons because they come from books that were written during the Renaissance and the Middle Ages and stuff. So, you know, they would refer to them as demons. But in reality... I use the word demon sort of to distinguish them from other kind of classes of spirits because there is sort of a hierarchy there. There's sort of a difference between different kinds of spirits. Like some people deal with angels and to be completely honest, angels scare the crap out of me because from what I understand about talking to angels and contacting angels, they're sort of like the real aliens, right? Like they're like unknowable, super powerful kind of like removed from human affairs kind of like it's like, it's like dealing with a Lovecraftian sort of entity you know yeah like, yeah yeah they, demons yeah, are kind of more that. like us like I feel like like demons are more like what's the word they're, they're kind of like animals I guess not really in a sense but like they can they have different personalities they can be kind of um they can be tricksterish like they sort of try to worm their way at it. Like when you summon certain demons, you have to like bind them and make them do what you want them to do. And sometimes they'll try to worm their way out of it or, or not do what you tell them to do. Um, they're sort of more relatable to me. Yeah. You know, it's like when you feel like when you're dealing with, a, with demons, you're dealing with a bunch of sort of like traditional sort of spirits, you know, how long like have you been them, doing this? So, you know, so I've really only gotten – I've always been into the occult. Like I started getting into it when I was in, in high school. Um, sort of had off and on relationships with it. But it's probably only been in the last year that I've kind of gotten serious about it. Mm-hmm. It's sort of actually like – you know, like right now, right before the show, I was working on a table of practice, which is like a – kind of like a wooden table that has certain symbols carved into it and stuff. So I've been doing some arts and crafts. Um, kind of like talking to people who are also doing – similar things like Aaron and just sort of moving from that sort of armchair theory kind of place to actually being practicing. And I'm glad I did because it's been, it's been wonderful. I mean, it's been like, you know, it's, it's some people might be scared by it. If you're scared by it, you don't have to do it. I'm not scared by it. You know, I'm not scared of potential for like bad things to happen. Like that, or is, it to, yeah, or is sure. that just something like that people, yeah, I guess that, I mean, this, this potential for bad things to happen when you drive down the street. So it's not like, yeah, you know I, mean, I mean, yeah. The world's a way scarier place than the world you call. I mean, just like there's a far more likely chance I'll get killed just walking around in, uh, that neighborhood at night than yeah. by summoning a demon. You know, and there's you know bad things can happen to you. Sure, like, uh, 
but that's why the books tell you what to do. They tell you that you need to do this, 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 and this. And, you know, if you leave out one of those steps or, or decide to cut corners somewhere, well, that's just a risk that you're taking. Yeah. You know? So it's sort of like if you're doing it right, I don't think there's any danger in it. I'm sure there'll be people who disagree with me about that. Yeah, I'm <laughs> sure. You know, like, you know, you're you're meddling with things. Far... But the thing is, I, I draw a parallel to this with, with the UFO phenomena. And that's right. why I've gotten interested in being a practicing magician. Like when I look at a triangle UFO with those three lights and that big red light in the center, what I see is a, a circle of invocation, right? Because it looks exactly the same. Triangle, it's got those three spots and then the place in the middle where you have your sort of magic circle, right? That you summon a demon into. And I, I've had this thought lately, like what if UFOs are just magic circles from some sort of way higher technological or magical level than what we exist on? What if the reason entities appear in the vicinity of UFOs is because it's literally, it, it's not just this craft, it's a portal to another place, a, like right. a living, intelligent portal? Yeah, I could see that in a sense, too, where it's like if you're a super advanced being and you know how to conjure magic, um, Maybe you could just open a open. It's crazy. It's just like open a portal in the sky where you're of another planet. Yeah. And look down. <laughs> like yeah. It's not that hard. To yeah. Fathom. And you know, a lot of these, a lot of things too. A lot of people don't realize that a lot of magical technology uh, intersects with like psi research. Like, there's not a huge difference between someone who's psychic and someone who's a magician, right? It's just that methodologies may differ. Like when you when you read about Joe McMonagle doing remote viewing, the only difference between remote viewing and scrying through a crystal ball is the protocol around remote viewing. Yeah. You know? Like it's the same technology. It's just been expanded upon, refined, and put together in a way that makes it more reliable and and you know, sometimes it's easier for people to swallow when they hear remote viewing versus, you know, divination, yeah. dowsing or whatever. Well, you know, yeah. It's the same thing. There's a lot of meditation with remote viewing. That's, I've, I, I, I thought yeah. about trying it once. It was just like I can't wrap – I can't sit still long, <laughs> long enough to do it. But, yeah, I think you're right in a sense where it's like the it's, – it's some kind of tapping into like the ether of, yeah. you know, that it's, idea it's, of like the I think universal. it's all consciousness, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I think just the human brain has the ability to do these things. And, you know, I, that's something that, that I try to tell people that anyone can do these things. Like, it's, you're not in, not in Harry Potter land where there's muggles who just, you know, just can't do magic for some reason. Everyone can do magic. Some people might be better at certain things than other people. You know, somebody might be really good at remote viewing. Another person might be really good at, like, channeling spirits and talking to spirits. You know? It's, it's something, and it's another thing, too, because there's such a rich history of magic – you know, there's all these different cultures and stuff. It's a great way to, like, kind of explore your own ancestry and kind of, like, explore other traditions, you know, because I, I'm not tied to any one magical tradition. You don't have to be. If I see a voodoo spell I like, I might do it, you know, just for the heck of it. There's no reason you can't, you know. It's, it's all sort of just wrappings on the same thing. You know, it's all just, it's all just window dressing. Yeah. Um, you know, there's, there's certain parts, I think, that you see reflect, like how many 
cultures you know use incense or how many cultures have some form of a magic circle like there's some kind of universal kind of language that we're tapping into there and each culture puts their own spin on it but if you look at things like every culture has their own like method of divination you know we use tarot here people used to throw bones in, in the east they use the I Ching. you know they're all doing the same thing they're just using different ways to get there and those ways are usually built around cultural context sort of similar to the way that you know, Fordian phenomena manifest themselves based on cultural wrappers of wherever they're exhibited. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. I worry about dabbling too much in it just because I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm I'm tempted to like... (laughs) (laughs) I'm tempted to be like... To to give it a shot, in a sense. That's the thing about sigils. I mean, sigils are completely safe. Uh, You know... I'm doing the Grimoire stuff because, you know, I like living on the edge a little bit. And it's pretty wild. And because, you know, I want to talk to spirits. I want to, you know, I've had out-of-body experiences and stuff. I want to take that further. I've already had a taste of the rabbit hole, and I want to go deeper. But you don't have to. I mean, you can just do something like sigils, which are relatively safe and easy to do, and just, you know, change your life a little bit that way. There's no reason you can't do it. And I don't want to scare people off. I mean, like I said, it's it's more dangerous to take your car down to the gas station than it is to do magic. Yeah, yeah. It makes sense. Well, I mean, in a way, it's too. It's like they – it's been socially conditioned to be like a bad thing in a sense where it's like it almost mm-hmm. makes you want yeah. – almost gives credence to the idea that there's probably something to it. You know what I mean? It's, it's yeah. Like, it's probably yeah. something about about all this magic stuff that's – that it's not just all hocus pocus, uh, no pun intended. Well, I I tend to think that the the one there is a big danger here, and this is something that I've heard people in ufology talk about too. But there's the danger of obsession. Mm, yeah. You know, there's there's the danger of becoming obsessed with it and it taking over your life and screwing up your relationships and becoming like your your sole interest. You know, and, and you see the same thing happen in a lot of different uh, you know paranormal communities. You see you've seen it happen time and time again in ufology. Uh, so that's a danger that's universal when we start dealing with these kind of topics. Yeah, there's lots of people who are like, who get deeply obsessed with this stuff to a dangerous level mm-hmm. in, in this field. Yeah, you got to have varied interests. I can especially see how it could be, if you're really messing with like the fabric of reality with, with this occult stuff, I could see how getting mm-hmm. obsessed would be even more more dangerous than just, you know, watching too much Ancient Aliens on TV. Yeah, it can be. That's a thing that people have to be aware of, you know. I remember when I was listening to your show with Nick, uh, Nick Redfern, he was talking about, you know, he doesn't deal with this stuff at night after he gets done writing, you know. He goes out with his friends to the bar. He, like, goes sees his show. He, you know, has a date with a girl or something. It's like, you've got to have something outside of these things. I mean, that probably goes for anything in life. You know, it's it's not healthy to play video games. That's all you do, you know. It's not healthy to only watch, you know, college football. It's, you got to have varied interests. And, and you see that in the occult, too. But because, because in the occult, in a lot, a lot of ways, you're changing your own consciousness, you know, you're, you're psychologically affecting yourself in ways that make the world different to you, there is that danger of becoming obsessed. And yeah. certain people just aren't cut out for it. I mean, I don't mean that people can't do it. 
I just mean that people who are already sort of mentally unstable or have mental illnesses should probably stay away from it because it's not going to make you any better, <laughs> I promise. Like if you already have problems uh, with depression and that kind of thing, like maybe work on that kind of stuff first before you start dabbling in the occult. Because, right, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> like it's like LSD or something. It's like don't. Don't do it if yeah. you're if you're if you just like broke up with your girlfriend or something. Like it's you're, you're yeah. not in the right headspace. Yeah, and that's that's the other thing. Speaking of LSD, I mean, that's that's what a lot of people don't realize too. I, I love that Terrence McKenna quote where he's like, "If I told a ufologist that I knew that there was going to be a UFO landing at such and such place at such and such time, they would buy a ticket to go there, no matter how far or how expensive it cost." But I tell them that I can give them like five grams of mushrooms and they'll meet an alien. They'd think I'm crazy. Right. Yeah. And that's something that like sort of the intersection of like drugs, occult and like Fortiana or something I'm just like obsessed with right now. It's like something that I just, I feel like all of these things can link up in some way. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because you write about, uh, Albert Bender uh, on your blog, and it's interesting because it, mm-hmm. there was like a really cool. Uh, he was, I don't think he was involved in that scene, but he, he comes up that mm-hmm. sort of time where it's like, mm-hmm. uh, like Jack Parsons. There was there was this like mm-hmm. alchemical or whatever you want occult sort of like underpinning to to the emerging UFO. Or you, I think he, I think they were really into this stuff like almost before the UFOs uh, burst onto the scene. So I think a lot of people blame or attribute, like, the Roswell crash or something to, to one of their rituals, or Kenneth Arnold's event yeah. or something. You know, you know what I'm talking about, I think. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, the Collins elite believed that the Babylon working that Jack Parsons did with L. Ron Hubbard was the reason that uh, Kenneth Arnold saw the you know flying saucers over Mount Rainier, that that whole thing was basically Jack Parsons blowing open the gates to another world, which I don't necessarily buy. People saw UFOs before, you know, Kenneth Arnold. It's just he was the first kind of like he's what caused it to enter the mimetic sort of ecosystem right and in a sense it's like but, you know you wonder yeah where it's like did he he didn't he didn't burst open the you know the the gates to another dimension but he sort of like kicked open the door of of, of the world's mind or something you know what i mean so it did it did yeah it, transform, it had yeah. a transformative you know i don't know if it was connected to the the ritual or not though we never will yeah, it definitely kind of opened the doors to the public's perception of, of UFOs. And, yeah, I mean, Bender was an occult practitioner, even if he was just a dabbler. I mean, he, if you read over his, like, sort of telepathic message to the Space Brothers, it sounds just like a goetic summoning ritual. You know, it's it's very similar, and I wouldn't be surprised if he sort of got some of the wording out of it from one of his books that he had, because he had books on the occult. And in a lot of ways, like, I wonder how much of people doing, like, channeling work and that sort of thing aren't just doing the same things that people like John Dee were, were, were doing when he was talking to angels and learned Enochian, you know? Yeah. Like, I think that people have always been talking to these sort of non-human entities basically forever, you know? Probably since the first human being ate the first psilocybin mushroom, you know? Yeah, like, yeah. I think it goes all the way back to the sort of dawn of human consciousness. And what do you think happened? But again, I'm also why interested. we don't, why it became like a, like a, like a human control system 
grew up, grew into place where it was like, we don't want people knowing about this stuff. Or do you think, like, how do you, I, I mean, I guess, how do you reconcile that with sort of like the idea that that it's so marginalized now? Well, there, there's sort of a different, I got a couple different ideas, some of them contradictory in my head about this. Like on one hand, if I am a person who believes in, you know, this is an external phenomena. There are non-human entities that we can communicate with. You could look at some of the stuff like, you know, humans being told not to have nuclear wars or the stuff about climate change. That could be sort of these spirits trying to guide us to a point where we could be like them. On the other hand, if you look at it in the sort of meta narrative of human as cattle that you see all over the place after the Industrial Revolution, like specifically like in uh, James Merrill's The Changing Light at Sandover, which is like a book of poetry, which he channeled via Ouija board. Um, he's told that nuclear weapons, like that, that he's told that nuclear weapons destroy the soul and that these entities recycle souls and that that's why they don't want atomic war because it gets rid of the souls for some reason and they need them for some purpose or another. Oh God, that's and, like the John Lear type stuff. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and, you know, this isn't a book of poetry written, uh, you know, decades ago. It's not even in a ufological thing. That's that's what I find so fascinating about that narrative, is that it appears all over the place. It appears in uh, Robert Monroe's out-of-body work uh, books, too, because he talks about how these entities sort of feed on an energy that's produced by fear and suffering um, that's caused when sort of predators eat prey or people hurt each other, murder each other, and that, that this energy is sort of collected and harvested and used as a power source by these entities. And this, like, revelation, like, screws him up for months. Like, he doesn't even know what to think about the universe after this. What entities? And, and sort of just uh, not us. Yeah. Sort of like these extra, extra dimensional, extra evil. sort of entities that evil. use Earth as a greenhouse. Yeah. It sounds evil, but it's sort of like, I tend to think of it, it at least in Monroe's work, they weren't eating people's souls. They were eating this energy that's created because of suffering or like sort of the, they called it like sort of the byproduct of evolution, right? Because evolution requires death. It requires yeah. things prey on each other, it requires survival of the fittest. And that they had built earth as sort of like a power plant to just generate, grow things, generate this energy for whatever purpose they needed it for. And that the people who lived on earth were, basically like souls from some other place. Like they were like sort of the same entities. They would come in and basically live lives as humans, almost like a, like a learning experience or someone just did it for fun. Yeah. Because okay. wherever they were from was boring. Interesting. In a way it makes yeah. you wonder I mean, though. It's just to, it's like, what if we, without realizing it, like what if, what if like we do that on our own weird small scale? So we don't, it sounds horrifying and cruel and terrifying, but then it's like, but we have huge garage warehouses full of chickens that we, that we essentially yeah. like do the same thing to. It's like maybe, maybe like we don't understand the science of it, but maybe that's the nourishment is that we're we're taking the souls of all these chickens. You know, who knows? Yeah. You know, it, it could be a thing where it's sort of an as above, so below kind of reflection of what we know is actually going on. On the other hand, it could be something I, I mentioned before that you know none of this stuff is true in a, in a literal sense 
but it's a, like a psychic manifestation of our own anxieties about what we're doing. You know, maybe maybe our collective feels guilty about what we're doing to, you know, millions of cows every day. That's a fair point. That's you know? like the complete opposite. Yeah, I, I yeah I used I used the idea to just to justify these warehouses full of chickens, but uh, yeah, there's another end of it too, where it's like maybe we're just tortured by all these warehouses yeah, of chickens. I mean, maybe we know deep down inside what we're doing. Maybe our collective feels anguish at this, and so we have these psychic manifestations of this anxiety and angst that create these you know, fantastical narratives where we're put in the place of those animals. You know, we're made to feel like the cattle, just like how we grow cattle. You know, it's, it's something that, I mean, that's, that's sort of the Jungian idea that, that these things are manifestations of the collective unconscious and that it's, that they can be physical. They can be, they can have an external reality, but ultimately they come from our own anxieties and our own anguish. Yeah. Weird. Interesting stuff. For all the hardcore <laughs> listeners, your uh, your banal phrase of the night is going to be have to be warehouses of chickens. So <laughs> if you collect them all, send them in. Tucky, tucky, and uh, all the other various uh, weird in-jokes I've come up with. Now, I want to talk to you about this because you said you'd love to talk about it, and that's always a good, a good thing. I was saying to you, I, I, I talked about this on the show in the past. I mean, and I talked about it recently when I was up in Portland talking to somebody just shooting the breeze, having a few beers. And it's like, to me, I don't have any answers for this, folks, but it's just, I find that someone should, like, look at this. And it extends in a deeper fashion than how I'm going to sort of lay it out. But we talked about this that uh, on the show in the past, that UFOs and the whole UFO phenomenon, like, as far back as it became a thing to do, to study and everything, it's been a predominantly white male field. And then some, mm-hmm. you know, and then some white women, you know, came along. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, were, they were incorporated. So it's, it's still quite, I mean, it mirrors, you know, Congress or something. It mirrors mm-hmm. a lot of these social structures. But to me, it's, like, interesting to think that there's, like, there's really no... Uh, there's a pretty good Latin like contingent of, of of Latin people looking at ufology, so that's good. But as far as like African American people, uh, especially like in America, you just don't see that at all. You just don't see any people, any any black people looking at UFOs and ufology. And I've always found that really interesting. And it's like why, why, like where's that disconnect? Why is it is it a fault of ufology? Is it a social thing where like this is like you know, a white people problem because we can sit around think about silly UFO garbage all the time. Like, what? what is it all about? You know what I mean? I find it very – some sociologist has to look at that phenomenon because I can't even – I mean, there's just not even any prominent uh, researchers that I can think of, and I've been around for years. Yeah, so I guess there's a couple angles to this that I was going to talk about. Um, on one hand – I think that, yeah, this is primarily, like, Fortiana is primarily a pastime of sort of middle-class white people. And this has probably a lot to do with, I know a lot of people don't like this word, but our privilege. 
right? Like we have, like I have privilege, like I have time to worry about this kind of stuff, yeah, to talk yeah. about this kind of stuff. Yeah, like what I was saying. Yeah. yeah, it's it's something that – like I was thinking earlier about researchers, right? Let's say you're a UFO researcher, and you're out in the country somewhere late at night looking for UFOs, right? Now, if you're white and you get pulled over by a state trooper, how do you think this is going to go? You say, oh, yeah, we're, we're out here looking for UFOs. That's what's parked yeah, on the side yeah. of the road. And they're probably just going to laugh at you and be like, all right, well, you know, get out of here or whatever. How do you think that's going to go if that was a black person? Right, right. You know, I, I mean, you're talking about that could be like a really dangerous situation for people to be in. Mm. Yeah, and, I never thought of it that way, just even in the field, like, investigating stuff. Yeah, for sure. And on the other hand, there could be just an element of racism there. I mean – People don't want to admit that they have racist bias, but most people do. Even if they think they don't, they do. How many – how hard, much harder do you think it would be for a black researcher to go out and try to interview people who've seen UFOs than a white researcher? Because I think you're going to see those sort of latent biases manifested there. You know, they're just going to – Interesting, yeah. Probably, yeah, you know, they're just not going to feel as comfortable talking to people just because of the color of their skin. And this is something I think that these unconscious biases are something I think you see uh, both against people of color and people like, like women and queer people in the space. Because you, I mean, I, I've seen it. I've seen the misogyny in the field, you know, with, with the whole Steph Young stuff, you know. I, I see how people treat women who try to get in this field and try to write books and stuff, they treat them like crap. And, you know, it makes people not want to take part in it. And it doesn't help when you've got, you know, people at the top levels of MUFON making racist statements on Facebook. You know, you, you've got this culture that surrounds ufology that is just not welcoming right. to people who aren't white middle-class guys. And that's our fault. You know, it's on everyone. Like, We've got to be more conscious about that. We've got to invite people. And the other thing is, too, it's it's just, you know, like we talked about at the beginning of the show, there's not that many young people interested in it, interested enough to do research and go to conferences and that sort of thing. You know, it's it's a dying field in a lot of ways. Um, and, I mean, honestly, too, a lot of people have much bigger problems nowadays. <laughs> yeah, that's like, yeah, even beyond, yeah, even beyond race, it's like, just the interest yeah. in UFOs. It's like it's like people, even even the even the privileged white people are like, I don't have time for. This. <laughs> maybe back yeah. in the, I mean, back in the nineties, I would have had time to look at this UFO stuff, but get it away from me now. Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. I mean, you're even seeing this just in the fact that you know lower like, uh, uh, you know lower class people don't have time for it because they're too busy working eighty hours a week just to scrape by. Exactly. You know, they don't yeah. have time for UFOs. You know, so it's it's sort of a thing that we have to be more conscious about as a community. And the other thing too, I, I was thinking about this topic and I was realizing how much of black ufology, how much of how many like kind of like queer people in, in ufology have been erased by the modern narratives. Like not a lot of people remember the fact that Gray Barker was gay. 
you know? Yeah. Well, I was thinking about it. Yeah. Like, D, D, do you know D. Scott Rojo? No, I'm not. So familiar. there you go. He was a uh, he was a gay UFO researcher, uh, paranormalist, um, who died. Yeah. He was murdered. So he died under strange circumstances. I don't know. Any murder is a strange yeah. circumstance. You know, it's, yeah. so it's like when someone murders someone else, something strange happens. So, but uh, yeah, he was murdered. Like in the, but he co-wrote a book with uh, Ann Druffle, like in the '60s and '70s or something like that. So I mean, he was a, oh, okay. you know, he would have been an old timer nowadays, and he was gay. So it's like. But you don't, yeah, there's not really any, it's just very, it's like the opposite of personality politics or, or whatever, you know what I'm saying? Or mm-hmm. It's like, it's yeah. it's just, <laughs> it's this weird hive, hive, uh, hive sociology or something, in a sense. Yeah. You know, and even in our own mythology, in our own ufological mythology, we have erased sort of the contributions of of African American culture to like sort of the whole topic because I was just thinking about this earlier like the nation of Islam believes in UFOs I mean but again how many nation of Islam members do you see going to a UFO conference you know like it's part of you know something like Louis Farrakhan had a UFO experience yeah um and even down to things like afrofuturism like if we want to talk about contactees and the history of ufology, does everybody starts with people like George Adamski, right? Mm-hmm. But Sun Ra had a George Adamski-style Space Brother contact experience 15 years before George Adamski did. And we don't talk about Sun Ra. You know, we don't. Yeah. We don't. When people give a history of ufology, they never mention Sun Ra's contributions to the topic. You know, like in, in I think it was like 1937, he had this experience where he was like enveloped in light, and he was taken to Saturn, and he like talked to these like oh, wow. know, aliens and stuff, and he came back and he was completely changed. It's like a it's like a classic messenger of deception style like case, and yet nobody ever talks about it. None of us talk about it. You know, like this is 15 years before Adamski, and you know, like Bootsy Collins, um had a UFO experience, you know, like, um, what was that? Yeah. Like, uh, Bootsy Collins and George Clinton had a oh, just wow. very traditional, like, you know, highway driving down the highway late at night. They saw like a UFO that beamed their car with light and stuff and, and disappeared, you know? Oh, wow. I never heard that story. Nobody ever talks about that. Yeah. Yeah, Exactly. You know, it's like their own history, their own contributions to this field have just been erased because, you know, again, it's a field full of kind of old white men who just ignore these stories. You know, yeah, it's like I said, a lot of our fault. Yeah, I'll burden some of the blame. We all should, I guess. You know, it's like it's just very strange. I mean, there needs to be like some some enterprising sociology student like needs to look at yeah. this you know because i don't have the answers i don't even know yeah. if i you know to me it's almost like presumptuous for me to even put put forward any you know put it forward it's like how I, i'm just mystified by it and i i wish it wasn't the yeah. case because it reflects so poorly upon the field of study you know and the, fu- it, it and the funny thing is or the or or the, the it was more like fucked up i guess it's like that i you know you laugh about it uh but you look at ghost hunting and in the mad desperation for ghost hunting shows, there's been an all-women all, all women ghost, several all-women ghost shows, ghost hunting shows, 
an all all black cast of ghost hunting show and an all gay at least one or maybe two an all an all all queer uh cast of ghost hunting show mm-hmm. so it's like there seems to be some pretty good diversity in the ghost field even though they're like mm-hmm. you know who knows what these are <laughs> With, with these ghost shows, it's yeah. like I don't know the actors. Like, did they just find these people? Like, I don't, I don't necessarily trust anything I see on TV when it comes to ghost hunting shows. But it's like, try mm-hmm. doing that with a UFO program, you're not even gonna mm-hmm. get anywhere. And you see sort of a similar thing in the occult space as well. Uh, I guess because you know magicians have always been marginalized. Marginalized people sometimes flock to the occult, and so. You know that's that's why I adore Gordon's uh, Gordon White's podcast for Soup, because he oftentimes has on people of different nationalities, ethnicities, genders, you know, orientations. Like he has a very diverse show, and I think it's a good example of what we need in our in the ufological community. And I mean, I, I don't necessarily consider myself part of the ufological community. I mean, I'm, I'm I've got toes in all these different pools, like you know, but. In a way, we we have to take that as an example. We have to. I don't know exactly how to do this, you know, because you don't want to patronize people. You don't want to have like a token person. That's what I'm saying. Community. That's why, like I say, I don't have yeah. the I don't have the answers. <laughs> you know, yeah. I'm just. It's it's a tough thing. I mean, yeah. Because you there, said there you no said earlier, like when we were talking about getting into this, it was like you know you were said, oh, I I'd love to talk about this. Some shows, um, you know, would be afraid to. Get into it. I'm sure it's, I guess, a hot-button topic to some people. It's not a hot-button topic to me, necessarily. It's like, this seems to be, let's discuss the issue, folks, and I don't have any answers. And I'm not going to try and give you any answers, because I don't know what what to make of it. Yeah, yeah. It's just disappointing, Even in a very sense, you know, because look, I'm like a big fan yeah. of wrestling, and I, and I don't, for some reason I think you are, but I don't, now I'm realizing lately that I'm like, I don't know if this guy does like wrestling or not, but I always tweet, I always send him weird wrestling. I'm a, I'm a casual wrestling fan. Okay. I'm a casual fan. I used to watch it a lot when I was younger, but I, occasionally like I watch new matches and stuff, but I don't watch it on a regular. Um, but it's like, I'm a big fan of that. It's also, it's like that has a, a, a deeply sort of troubled, uh, issue with race. So it's like, I, you know, I notice these kind of things where it's like, ah, oh, geez, you know, I wish they would get their act. So it's like, if you don't, if you don't acknowledge sort of like that there's something off about this, then you're never really going to be cognizant of, because, you know, I think everybody else is just merrily going along on their way and they're like, don't bring, don't bring that up. Don't talk about that. Why, why that this makes you fall as you look bad. It's like, I guess, but it is what it is, man. I mean, I'm, like I said, I don't have any answers for it. It's just, it's just flummoxing. We gotta spread this stuff around. Let's put it on the internet. You're listening to Banal of America Audio. Great heavens. What kind of radio show is this? Well, you know, again, too, how many UFO researchers were approaching black communities and asking them about their UFO experiences? I mean, I, I would guess probably not many. Yeah. You know, it, 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 they might not have been doing it consciously. Like, I don't want to paint the image that, you know, ufologists are racist, because I don't think that's true. I, what I'm saying is that people have these unconscious biases that they don't even realize that they have, and it just prevents them from engaging people from other cultures. Hmm. And you have to get over that, because the more insular your field, your discourse becomes, the smaller and smaller and smaller it gets, and the more it's just going to wither and die. And it has to be diverse it has to be rich and that's why you know somebody should just write a book about like 
you know, specifically looking at people of color and their UFO experiences. That's why I adore Artie Six Killers. Work I was, with all see, her, uh, thank you, because you know, I was waiting to sort of yeah. jump in here because uh, my buddy Chris Pinio on here, he's he uh, uh-huh. he said he said, what about Native Americans? Don't don't discount them. Yeah, and yeah. absolutely, I agree. I mean, they they have yeah. Artie Six Killers work is very yeah. important with her stories from indigenous peoples. You know, like that's the kind of work that we need to be doing. You know, like that's the kind of we need to approach with all other different cultures. cultures. And get yeah. Input. Yeah. yeah, with all different cultures. Yeah, I mean, how many people have written a book about UFO contact in East Asia? You know, I'm, I'm sure people see UFOs in East Asia, but how many books have been written on it? You know, how many people have – it's just – it's something that that as a community, we have to branch out and we have to reach out to people and, and bring these other voices in. And that's – you know, you see it occasionally, but, you know, again, too, like how often – do you see these people invited to conferences? You know? Oh, yeah. I mean, that's why I'm glad, like, Soraya has, like, like, um, where did the road go? Soraya, you know, usually has, like, uh, he has female guests. Um, I know, like, uh, Keith, the, the demon house guy in Seattle, uh, he's a person of color, so it was, it was very refreshing to hear him on. And I think in the cryptic community, you see a little bit of it as well. Um, but it, it's something that we've all got to work on, you know? Yeah, for sure. You know? And it's it's like I said. I mean, it's worth discussing. I don't think it's something that people should be. Mm-hmm. You know, we come from a place of yeah. We're coming from a place of like uh, of 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 wanting inclusion. You know, we're like, hey, yeah. there's no there's no inclusion going on here, guys. What's going on? You know, it's. I think part of yeah. it too might be that the UFO field and the paranormal in general is like so marginalized that just yeah. no like. No one's talking about this, and there's no public sort of pressure to to be inclusive. You know what I'm saying? It's like yeah, it's like yeah, major, it's, you know, sports and that kind of thing. I mean, shit. Look at sports. There's not even like any gay, open gay, openly gay athletes. Like any of, I think there may be one in you know in each of the yeah. sports or something like that. But it's 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 insanely it's insanely like closeted. So it's like that's yeah, mainstream that sports. Out folks, so can you imagine? Like, like no one gives a fuck yeah. about ufology. So, so yeah. So there's no yep. there's no one like you know yeah. So there's no like external social pressure where it's like hey what let's you know let's take a look at what's going on internally here. Yeah, and, and the whole MUFON response to that scandal was I mean deeply disappointing, you know because we've just on a purely like research-oriented level, right? You can't ever expect to be able to find any answers or to broaden our knowledge of this phenomena if we're just talking to the same people. Yeah. You know, we have to get as many data points as possible. I mean, if this phenomena expresses itself based on cultural context, we have to get reports from other cultures, you know? Like, we have to, we have to expand that pool of data as big as we can. We can't be scared of talking about these kind of things. Yeah, for sure. And that's why we need more young people in this field, because they're more... It is, yeah. You know, I'm going to sound like a, an old an old man, like you're crying <laughs> hipsters or whatever, but it's like they have a different outlook on the world. So, mm-hmm. and maybe that's why ghost hunting, like since it's been adopted by so many young people, is more diverse. Yeah, and, you know, it's important to... I don't want to use the word like outreach, but like 
I, I don't know how to do this, but more people need to be aware that there are links between ufological phenomena, ghost phenomena, cryptids. Like people need to realize that we're all kind of looking at the same thing. Yeah, that, that's sure. kind of back to we were talking about sort of this cultural undercurrent that people like you and me and, and other people are kind of in. We know that, but other people just never realize that. If you point it out to them, they're like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, most people aren't hostile to that idea. You know, you kind of explain a little bit like your, where you come up with that idea, and it makes sense to a lot of people. It made sense to me. Um, and, you know, you do see, I think, more young people in the occult space – like I, I do think we're kind of in the beginnings of an occult renaissance in in, in the world, um, and you know you've got like uh, Mike sort of binding rituals that he's putting on Twitter and everything, and I, I think you're seeing more of it. It's just that we have to be welcoming as a community as well, you know, and and having racist rants on Facebook is not a way to welcome in people to your community or make them feel safe or comfortable to come forward with their stories or even participate in the discourse, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, not really, like... I I was more, almost more critical because I made a joke initially when the first comments were posted that it was like, oh, you're telling me, like, an old white guy in <laughs> an old prominent mm -hmm. uh, ufologist is, like, racist like this? Call me when something interesting, like a new. <laughs> call me when that's news, you know. Yeah. But then it was like their response was so, you know, it was like Charlottesville. Yeah, it, was it was like it was like this. This they 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 were, they were ahead of the game. They were like there's trouble on both sides. It's like what? You know, it also. <laughs> yeah. It it also doesn't help too that the ufological community is so deeply entwined with sort of like conspiracy. Uh, this is largely the fault of like kind of the disclosure type community, especially nowadays. Deeply yeah, entwined, sure. yeah, yeah. It's deeply entwined with the with the uh, conspir like conspiratorial sort of communities that have just blown up in the last year or two, uh, with, because of people like Alex Jones and you know like I'm I'm sorry, but the vast majority of people who are really into Alex Jones are not exactly the kind of people I would want to have as friends. <laughs> so it's like, as as like a leftist and as you know, a, a person who's kind of into the more, you know, social justice kind of aspect of things. Most of those people are not friendly to my ideas. Right, right. And you know, in a lot of ways, even I feel kind of marginalized. You know, I'm glad I found people. You know that I've been talking to people on Twitter, like Jack and, and you guys, because you guys all feel pretty open. You know, I, I don't think any of you have you know, a swastika in your bedroom or anything. Nah, so, yeah. But, I mean, think about the average person looking at, you know, like UFOs. Isn't that the, like a whole Alex Jones, like right-wing Right. Thing? Yeah, I never you thought know? of it that way, but you're absolutely right in a sense it, where it's not even just like – it's just the perception of the field that um, yeah. it's for conspiracy kooks. And then by in turn, exactly, you make the leap from conspiracy kooks to Al – the first thought is Alex Jones. So it's like even – Exactly. I'm like the antithesis of all of his ideas and beliefs. So it's mm -hmm. like to me, yeah, I shake my fist at the guy. I'm like, oh, this guy's too much, you know. Yeah, I mean, I, think how much that scares people away from becoming involved in the ufological community. Right. Because they they they're like, oh man, UFO people. Those are like the same kind of people. That, I mean, I've even had normies like I used before, like normal people, talk to me. They're like, 
I'm into UFOs. And they're like, oh, yeah, you mean like like Alex Jones, like conspiracy, conspiracy <laughs> stuff? And I'm like, nah. Uh, it's not horrifying. Really. It's horrifying to hear, yeah. Yeah. But that's what they think. Like that, you know, and then we're in bad company, <laughs> I guess. And we have to we have to show people and be that that not all of us are like that. That there are people in this community that want diversity. They want inclusion. They they want you know good people to be involved in this because it, it's something that I think has deep meaning and deep ramifications for humanity and just consciousness. I mean, there, this this whole thing ties so much into just the human being, just how we exist in the world our place in the universe. And, you know, I want everyone to be a part of that. You know, I don't want to be the boys club. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. It's like, I was thinking about just now you say that. Yeah. Like that's kind of how I was, I was trying to explain it almost to Steve Berg last week in a sense where it's like, mm. to me, this is the biggest mystery. You know, the paranormal is what else would I be interested in? <laughs> like this is the yeah, earth, yeah, earth exactly. shattering, like, you know, upending ideas of whatever they may yeah. be, Bigfoot, yeah. UFOs, all that stuff. I can't imagine being like really into stamps or, you know, something like that. It's like, no, nah, this is my thing. And this is my thing for a reason. Cause right. these are the big questions that, that have the potential to just completely throw our world, you know, on its head. Yeah. Cause like I've interviewed uh, hundreds of people and if just one of them is like, got it absolutely right. <laughs> the world is a, a crazy, a much crazier place than we can imagine. So, yeah, yeah. one can only hope. But yeah, I mean, this uh, not to, yeah, there's no sense in like belaboring the point. I think we kind of made it, you know. That it's, mm-hmm. it, I think it's a, a topic worth discussing, you know. And I hope other people in other is, shows yeah. and areas pursue this this line of thought and don't be afraid to, you know. To explore it because it needs yeah. to be needs to be talked about, and if you know, and I would yeah. love to hear from listeners who are, you know, people of color or gay or whatever, you know, that 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 mm-hmm. we're talking about that think that you know, maybe they don't care, maybe they, maybe they think it's great, maybe yeah. maybe they know, maybe they they understand, maybe they're like, finally, someone said what irritates me so much about mm-hmm. ufology. It's like. Call me. Uh, no, yeah. don't call me. <laughs> email, email me. <laughs> email me or Facebook me and be like, hey, man, mm-hmm. thank you for saying that. You know, not to not to kiss my house or kiss uh, kiss mm-hmm. Ren's ass, but just to just so we know that we're not just being idiots here. Yeah, it's just, and it's something that you know. Because I'm, I'm sure, like some people are like, that. oh, these guys, they're being alarmist. It's like, man, <laughs> you know, I don't think we yeah. are, but you know, yeah, back us up, folks. And- <laughs> And I think the vast majority of people involved in the community are good people deep down inside. I'm just I'm Absolutely. asking people maybe just to step back and think, you know, do I have biases that I'm just not aware of? You know, just it's not like I'm asking people to, to change drastically or to like hate themselves or anything. I don't want people to feel guilty of anything. I just, no. you know, just kind of examine yourself, you know, just say, hey, am I doing what I can to make this a, an inclusive, welcoming place to new people? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, because I don't. It's, it's like sort of that thing where it's like, oh, the government, the government's uh, <laughs> covering up the UFO. It's like, you know, if anything, it's like it's a systemic issue that's that's ing- been ingrained in ufology. That's not, and and the paranormal, yeah. you know, or across the board, relatively speaking, you know, mm-hmm. it's not like that. There is a cabal of people 
<laughs> MUFON, <laughs> MUFON excluded, that are <laughs> that are that are actively sort of trying to create this environment. It's just a systemic thing, yeah. I think. I hope. But yeah. So it's tell me about change. you know it's something that we can move forward with. Yeah, like I said, it's a topic uh, worthy of discussion, I think, and one that I. I, you know, we explored it a long time ago on the show, uh, but if it wasn't for this conversation I had in Portland, I probably wouldn't be mm-hmm. talking about it tonight. But it was like, yeah. it just struck me because I went to a UFO festival the first day and a crypto conference the next, and it was like, I was like studying the demographics of, of both events. And I was <laughs> like, I noticed that across the board it was that way. And I was like, that's very interesting. And I, I had thought about that before. So let me revisit this. Um, so tell me about your thoughts on Bigfoot because you have some. You, you one, I think it was like your first post on the thing because I'm like an old school Bigfoot fan. I, I like Bigfoot in a sense where it's not like UFOs. It's you got maybe five possible <laughs> options for Bigfoot. Mm-hmm. I hope. Yeah. You know, it's not like thirty with UFOs. But but I I thought it was interesting because it was your blog post is really fascinating in a sense because it's like I could feel you. Or at least I sensed that you were like working through your thoughts on Bigfoot. It was like I'm gonna sit sit down and put my thoughts on Big, and, and kind of like it was like well, it could be this, and then you kind of like were you know present almost arguing against yourself. I thought it was really interesting, but yep. um, you know, what are your thoughts on this on this odd little creature or big creature? Well, I constantly kind of go back and forth my own ideas on this. They've evolved over the years. I mean. In, in, a blog, in my blog post specifically, I kind of go over two possible scenarios that are not mutually exclusive, right? They could both be true, that there is a physical flesh and blood animal creature, possibly like cousin to humanity. Like, you know, maybe they're more related to us than we realize that, that live alongside us and have existed alongside us for a long time, and that maybe we've just driven to the brink of extinction. And that, you know, I sort of kind of examine some possibilities for the physical kind of answer and think, okay, well, maybe they live underground. Maybe they live in cave systems, and that the only ones that people see are, you know, they're out for some reason that they're not supposed to be. You know, maybe they're, you know, people, it it took uh, Jane Goodall... I think almost a year before she finally saw a chimp, you know, these things could, could be that elusive. You know, I I do kind of understand the argument that why have we never seen one or never gotten a body ever? Like, yeah, that makes sense. But then again, too, how many times have you come across a body of anything in the woods? Right. right. Woods recycle things pretty fast. I mean, well, I was going to say, because I I was in, not necessarily anticipating the argument from you, but I was anticipating mm -hmm. sort of that idea and, and, to take it to a, a level that is different in a sense. But, I mean, I don't know what it's like where you live, but mm-hmm. when I drive it late late at night sometimes, on very, very super, like, maybe three times in my life, a deer has, like, dashed out into the road. And it's like, that's yeah. a deer. We know what deer are and stuff. And it's only ran out into the, yeah. ran out of the road, like, three times in the, in, the, in the thousands of times I've been out driving. So mm-hmm. if you reduce... If you you know pull the camera back, reduce the population of deer to what you would expect the Bigfoot to be, then it would kind of make mm-hmm. sense that like 
very, very, even more infinitesimally rarely would people see a Bigfoot just come running across the road or anything like that. Or see yeah, one, you know exactly, what I'm saying? You know, maybe they just are really, really, really rare. And maybe they're really, really, really smart, too. You know, we uh, people assume, okay, they think like, oh, well, they're, uh, you know, northeastern mountain gorilla. But maybe they're as intelligent as we are. Maybe they have, I mean, if you listen to the, what are the Sierra sounds or whatever, it sounds like they have language. Hmm. So maybe they're just like us. I mean, they're just like some offshoot of Cro-Magnon or Neanderthal or something that are, are really intelligent that don't want to be found, that live in small groups, maybe they're migratory and stuff. I mean, they have a physicality to them that you hear in a lot of reports that don't necessarily play into the idea that they're just, you know, forest poltergeists. But then, on the other hand, there are a lot of accounts of them just vanishing into thin air. There are accounts of them acting almost like spirits or ghosts, you know? And I wonder if it isn't a mix of both. Like, not I think I think the idea that they're physical and extra dimensional at the same time that is a little much of a leap for me. I tend to think maybe on one hand you have some physical creatures that are occasionally encountered but are very intelligent, don't want to be found, they're very elusive. On the other hand, you have what is effectively how do I explain this? Like you know how the idea that UFOs and other sort of paranormal phenomena shape themselves around cultural memory or archetypes. Right, right. Maybe the hairy hominid is an archetype that like we genetically remember from when we used to be in like more regular contact with them before they were almost, you know, driven to the brink of extinction. I mean, we know that we used to have, you know, we genocided the Neanderthals, right? <laughs> like we right, right. ate most of them and we had sex with some of them. Um, but we killed them off. I, I think that there used to be kind of a rich ecosystem of sort of, you know, all these different variants of humans, mm. right? There were Neanderthals. There were probably others, too. Yeah, like all over and the world. We were yeah. just the one, yeah, we're just the ones that came out on top. You know, we're the ones that eventually won. And we probably have these sort of genetic memories of these things that, that kind of lurk in our collective unconscious. I mean, how many, how many little kids, when they think about a monster, they think about a big, hairy monster? Right. I mean, it's yeah. just like a common archetypal image of like the boogeyman or something. Because these things might have used to eat us, you know. Maybe, maybe they used to kill us, and that's why we killed them off. You know. I mean, the the Native Americans have stories of, you know, they have Bigfoot fabulous Bigfoot and, stories. Yeah. Yeah, coming down into the villages, stealing children, like, you know, they were threatening to them. You know. Maybe that's maybe that's why we've driven to distinction. Maybe that's why they're so elusive, the physical ones, because we <laughs> they're scared of us now because we killed almost all of them. Mm. Now, yeah. on the other hand, maybe what some people are seeing is a sort of paranormal phenomena that is manifesting itself and building itself out of that cultural memory, and that's where you get the anomalous sort of Bigfoot encounters. Mm. Maybe that's the more common one. You know, maybe that's what most people are seeing because so many times they also exhibit kind of poltergeist phenomena. Like, people never tend to think about poltergeist phenomena in the woods versus poltergeist phenomena in your house being effectively the same. You hear knocking on walls. Ah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. You get things thrown at you in the house. You get things thrown at you in the woods. And so many people are like, yeah, I encountered a, uh, you know, Bigfoot in the woods, and then I went home, and they followed me home, and they were slapping on the walls in my house and stuff. You know, if they hadn't seen the Bigfoot, they would have thought they were having a poltergeist. So I wonder, 
how much I guess basically the point of my blog post is that I think there may be both things at the same time. They don't have to be one or the other, and it doesn't have to be a combination of the two either. You know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I've long thought that almost like I said earlier about holding a candle for uh, the ETH, that it's like the UFO phenomenon probably is eight different things. You know what I mean? It probably is like in some instances it is some – Ball lightning type thing we don't understand quite yet, and then in other instances it is interdimensional, and other times it actually is an alien like probe coming here yeah. from another planet or something. Yeah, I, I tend to like I, you know over the last couple of years I've started to shy away from the idea of there being a paranormal theory of everything, you know, and I'm like maybe there's a lot of things going on, and just you know we that's why you have to approach every sort of report you read and every bit of information you get from a phenomenological point of view you have to look at just the event you can't project your own expectations or your own theories onto it because you know if you do that well yeah you're you're going to see it as all the same thing or you're going to see it as whatever you believe it's supposed to be you know and maybe maybe the eth isn't right but maybe it's right some of the times maybe it is alien sometimes you know and maybe sometimes it's uh you know, the astrally projecting spirits of extra-dimensional beings. And maybe sometimes it's, you know, a physical Bigfoot. Maybe sometimes it's a wood ghost, you know. It can be a lot of things. It doesn't all have to be the same grand theory. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think that's the mistake made by the individual uh, fields in a sense. They all get caught up in Mm -hmm. this sort of like, in the quest to find the ultimate answer, Mm-hmm. They make the mistake of like excluding all the other answers when there is some universal. I don't know, you know what I mean? Where it's like they, yeah. it's hard to sort of put into words, but it's like they want to pin well, it down on one thing, and they, and, and yeah. in turn, they can't explain it because there's all this different things happening. Like I, I've likened the yeah. whole paranormal thing to like clouds. It's like there's different clouds. Mm-hmm. They look different. There's different conditions that cause the different clouds, but. You know, before we studied that, we had no idea what it was. And, and, and I think the paranormal makes yeah. a mistake of being like, this cloud is, you know, there has to be one explanation <laughs> for all of these, you know, for, mm-hmm. for, for the clouds, even though they all look differently. Well, like, it's no, it doesn't work that way. Yeah. We all want to, like, you know, go pull down Great Oz's curtain and see who's standing behind it. I mean, that's like a natural human inclination. And, you know, people can't be faulted for that, but you have to realize that there isn't necessarily one answer for everything, and that by trying to fit everything into the same mold, you might be missing things. It's it's okay to draw parallels between different types of phenomena. I mean, that's fine. Like, you need to compare them to kind of parse them out and get information about them. There's nothing wrong with, with, with drawing comparisons, but you also have to look at them on their own merits, too. Right. Because if you... You know, if you put them all into a, one forest, you're going to miss the trees. Yeah, I, I mean, I've heard the stories about. Well, I mean, it's like common knowledge to people who are ardent students of ufology. You know, like a group like, uh, not to pick on move on, move on more than we need to, but you know that they would like throw out the uh, the, the humanoid or the uh, you know the entity cases. Mm-hmm. You know, an apro was like different. They would look at the uh, entity cases. So it's yeah. yeah. I, I honestly can't think of anything more intellectually dishonest than that. Whenever I hear stories about researchers doing that, it makes me so mad. Because I'm like, how many good, interesting data points could I have pulled from stuff that they 
like molded to fit their narrative. Right, right. I mean, and and the the abduction field gets a rightfully in a sense gets a bad rap because they they're kind of they they're guilty of that in a big way because they they sort of constructed this narrative of alien abductions and so many good mm-hmm. things got thrown out that like probably would be a lot more helpful in trying to figure this out. Yeah, I mean, especially, too, I know other people have talked about this more than, than I have, but the use of hypnosis in abduction research is especially egregious in this, in this right, right. Like instance, because you're you're taking people who might have had a different story. You're not asking people what they saw. You've got people who are not trained hypnotists that are not trained psychologists, and they're, they're feeding narratives to people and possibly causing people, like, mental harm by their need to, for the phenomena to fit their preconceived notions of what it should be, you know, like literally messing with people's heads. And yeah, because you're giving them the idea that they were abducted by aliens possibly when that's not yeah. maybe what happened. That's why, you know, that's why I really, really like Whitley Strieber's work. <laughs> I mean, a lot of people have a lot of opinions on Strieber, but the fact that he was like, yeah, I saw my – you know, I saw a dead person, like a ghost of a person, while I was having an induction experience. The fact that he didn't leave stuff like that out speaks volumes about him, and it speaks volumes about the experience itself and what may lie at the heart of it. Because how many, you know, quote-unquote abduction researchers would be told something like that and would just leave it out of the reports, you know? Yeah. Because it didn't fit, or it was too weird, you know? Like that whole need for science to take them seriously. You know, like, oh, well, we can't have it too weird because then people will just laugh at it. I won't take it seriously. I'm like, I don't give a fuck if people take it seriously. I want to know what happened. I don't care how weird it is. Like, yeah, give yeah. it to me, you know? Like, let me know. Because that every little detail is important. And something this strange and something this out there, every little detail could be a key, you know? And if you're leaving anything out, because it doesn't fit your narrative of what it should be, or you're worried about being respectable, or you're, you know. Yeah, 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 exactly. You're, yeah. you're losing out, and you're doing a disservice to yourself, and you're doing a disservice to the research, you know. Yeah, yeah. It's it's. Uh, can you go past the hour, man? We're getting close to the thing. So, uh, can you? Yeah. How much? How much wiggle room do you have? Can we just keep jamming for a bit? Yeah, that's fine. All right. Because uh, I'm sure people are digging the conversation. I, well, here's a here's sort of a jumping off point in a sense. The oh, there you go. Well, where can uh, actually let me ask you this because this is uh, I don't know if we're gonna have time. Maybe maybe we will. Maybe we won't. Uh, you mentioned in on the blog. Uh, plug the blog again. But you mentioned that you're working on a book about the intersection between ufology and uh, the occult. So what's what's going on with that? Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm still kind of doing research on that. Part of my actual, like, working with some of this stuff is, is research in itself. And I'm just trying to kind of draw some parallels between the the, the channeling of spirits and sort of the uh, the contact he experienced and just sort of looking at this thing as, as maybe people tapping into the same phenomena throughout the ages. Yeah. You know, like, like kind of look at it from the perspective that uh, – that all of this is kind of tied together, not in the sense of a grand theory, but just in the sense that it's just taken different forms throughout the years. And what's your, so you're just kind of like gathering the intel right now. Yeah, basically like, you know, I'm, I'm looking at 
uh, grimoires. I'm looking at accounts of spirit contact. Like, you know, there's the really famous little anecdote in uh, Passport to Magonia where I think it's a Lucius Flavin or somebody like, uh, you know, does this ritual to contact the aerial spirits and then these like guys appear and they're like, it's almost like a UFO experience because they're like space brother type of guys. They tell them all this like weird sci-fi stuff like about how the universe is like created moment to moment, like a, you know, kind of like a quantum mechanics thing. And this is written in something, you know, in like the 1600s. So it's yeah. like, you know, like people have always been kind of having these contacts with these entities that are not us. And I'm interested in the fact that, well, you've got their phone book. You can dial them up. Anybody can talk to them. You know, you can call them. You can call a UFO, basically. Right. You, know, you can speak to an alien. You know, it's like the idea of that is fascinating to me. You know, I sort of want to look at sort of the work of, you know, Greer and other people and their whole, like, going out in the desert and like, calling down the UFOs kind of thing. Because that's, in a way, I see a reflection of that in the occult, you know. It's got a different trapping, but it's sort of the same thing. It's sort of the similar idea that if you say these words and you do this thing and you're in this place then these things will come and talk to you. Hmm. You know, whether you're doing it with a, a magic book or you're doing it with a flashlight, you know? Like, you know, what what are these things? Why do they talk to us? Like, what do they say now versus what they said then? That's interesting. Have you ever thought about this? Because I have not. And, it's, and it just came into my head while you were talking and uh, I was listening to what you had to say. Um and thinking about what we've talked about earlier tonight, mm-hmm. uh, and also this is like the most convoluted question. And also, and, and also, my <laughs> my conversation with Mark O'Connell uh, a few weeks ago, talking about how like at the end of uh, at the end of the 1800s, there was articles and stuff being written by uh, astronomers, real mainstream mm-hmm. astronomers, saying that you know essentially speculating on life on other planets, mm-hmm. and I guess. I guess the the gist of the question, the gist of sort of the thought experiment is like why or maybe when they sent uh when they could start looking out into the stars and they sent mm-hmm. these probes to Mars and they sent uh mm-hmm. you know things to the moon and they established uh sorry conspiracy people but this is how they this is the narrative that was handed down to us they established that we they, – they found proof that we are alone. And up until then, through all of human history, it was like you, you could look up into the stars and think that there were people up there. Mm-hmm. There are people on the moon. I mean, I'm sure people thought there were, uh, there were people on the moon for a long, long time. But once yeah. – yeah. but maybe there was some kind of like social, cultural crisis – an internal crisis where it was like, this is it. We're, we are we are alone. There isn't there there not there are canals on Mars. There there isn't mm-hmm. ancient civilizations. At least as obviously ancient civilizations. Mm-hmm. Like we are the only game in town. That's you know. So to me, I wonder. Like I said, this just popped into my head talking to you. But it's like I wonder if there was something. You know, that clicked in the human mind, in in the zeitgeist, that were were like there really was a sea change of belief in a sense. Yeah, I I can see that. Like, because I mean, quite literally, I mean, you're right. People did used to think, oh, well, yeah, there probably are people on Venus. You know, there, there probably are people on Mars, and 
you know, we could go meet them. I mean, we didn't know about space and, and, you know, we didn't really understand why that might not be possible. And with our, you're right, with our sort of explorations under the solar system so far, we haven't found any evidence for that. And, or at least, you know, anything living. Right. And yeah, I mean, who knows what kind of psychic damage that did to our, to our species. Yeah. Like to our view of our place in the universe. Right. Because suddenly it, it would be like all of a sudden all of your neighbors just disappeared. Yeah. yeah. Disenchanting. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. It's, it, it suddenly makes everything feel a lot more nihilistic and lonely. And I think that's why you ha- still have the – that's why you have that strong adherence to the ETH, I think. That's why you still have people who believe in aliens because they they don't want to ex- they don't want to accept the fact that yeah we might be the only game in town. Right, right. We joked about yeah. it earlier, and I'm I'm ho- I I mean I'm hopeful that it really is a face on Mars, but it's like that makes you wonder in a sense like is that where the face on Mars came from? Is it more just like that we were so desperate not to believe that there was no one on Mars that we were like hold the phone, I found a face. You know, is that like I mean, it what could happened? Be. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it could be. I mean, you know, that, that's interesting. I've thought about that. And in Mac Tony's uh, book on, on Mars after the Martian apocalypse, he kind of dances around this idea that the face on Mars looks like a human face for a reason. Because, I don't know, it, this is kind of an out there idea. But what if we made the face on Mars? And I don't mean like we were ancient Martians and we came here to Earth, but what if, like like you mentioned, sort of the desire for there to be something there manifested that? You know, like... Well, in a sense, if, yeah. I mean, like Paradelia, like we... I mean, the only... Yeah. The, the first thing... The first time... The first time a face appeared... That was, mm-hmm. you know, we jumped all over it. We were like, hold, like I said, hold the phone, man. I found a face. Turns out, you know, <laughs> we, we may not be alone. There's a face there. So, yeah. but but everyone else, I mean, everyone else is like, dude, let it go. <laughs> like, what if what if the what if uh, something put the face there? That what if it wasn't Martians that put the face there? What if somebody put the face there because we, they knew we would find it? Like. Yeah, as possible. sort of like I don't know, like a, like a trail of breadcrumbs. Right? right, like a clue, like a clue. Where it was like, where it was yeah. like, yep. There's, yeah, exactly. The complete opposite of that idea. Yeah, where it's like, yep. There's a face. Surprise. Yeah. Like we left a face like, what here if for it, you. What if it's there? Once you can look specifically see so it. we could see it. Yeah. Yeah. Like what if it was there specifically so we would see it? Right. You know, like a, I don't know, like a like a distress signal almost. You know, or or maybe like I said, like a trail of breadcrumbs. What if it's like a map in a way? You know, that's saying, hey, humans, there's something interesting in this area. You should look a little closer. You know? Yeah. I'd like to see... Like, I mean, there is... Go ahead. No, this, this, it's a fascinating idea to think about because it, it, may, it reminds me of stuff like in, like, 2001, A Space Odyssey, where, you know, this, you know, extra-dimensional alien race, hyper-advanced, it kind of, like, leaves these little monoliths all around the solar system, kind of leading us you know, to Jupiter where they sort of had the stargate and everything. Sort of the idea that this, you know, some kind of civilization may may leave us clues in the solar system as a way to get us to leave our planet. Right. You know, to get us out there. Yeah, I'd like to see 
a book or something. I told Mark O'Connell he should write more because there was a period there, like at the end of the 1800s, where like in the New York Times and stuff, it was like, leading astronomers suspect there's probably a race of people on Mars. And it was like, what? This was in, this was in the New York Times? So I, I'd like to... Yeah. I'd like to know more about, like, that, how long people have, because somebody on Greg Bishop's Ray Mysterioso page on uh, Facebook asked the question, of, like, when when did the ETH even start? Like, how long have people been talking about aliens from outer space, like people from other planets coming here and stuff? I, I would like to know how long that's been around. You know what I mean? Well, in the occult sense, it's been around since the beginning of, like, basically magical systems. I mean... In a very literal sense, people have always known the, the quote-unquote spirits were from the stars. Right, right. I mean, even if it's just a consequence of the fact that, you know, back then, before there was all this light pollution, you know, you could look up at night and just see the immensity of the universe and all these stars and like wondering what are those lights, you know? Like, are those souls? Are those spirits? You know, they would see planets and they would think, you know, that the, I mean, there's a reason there's... You know, right, right. They yeah. named uh, the planets after the gods, you know, because on some level, uh, from a magical perspective, we've always known that there were things out there in the stars that came to here that we could talk to that that didn't live here, but lived out there. Yeah. And that belief, I think, sort of shifts into the idea of, well, maybe they're like us and maybe they have a culture and a civilization and they live on this planet, sort of like us. Um from the like I said, from the perspective that thinking of like what's out there, we've always known that that there were intelligences outside of our planet. Yeah. Well, it's interesting to circle back to that idea from earlier. Yeah, it's interesting to think. Again, I'd like to see. I, I'd have to go back and because I think Mark O'Connell kind of got this point across like in one sentence in the book, where it was like everything, you know, everything changed or something like that. Where it was like once they knew. I would like to know if where where the timelines cross in a sense. Where it's like, did we find out there wasn't life on all these other worlds, and then all of a sudden the UFO phenomenon cropped up? Because that would actually explain a lot on a very hmm. deep psychological level. Where it's like, because now it's, I mean, even though we we it's marginalized and it's kind of a joke. Like there are serious scientists and, and mainstream scientists coming around now to this idea in a very nerdy psych- uh, scientific way of like finding alien life in the universe. It's like has <laughs> once we found out we were alone, the quest became like, we can't be alone. We refuse to believe we're going yeah. to the stages of grief. We're like, there's, there's got to be... <laughs> yeah, we're going through denial. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, where it's like, no, no, no. Just because they didn't find them on Mars. Now they're coming here in ships. Don't worry, don't worry. We're definitely not alone. It's like, mm-hmm. I think there may be like well, yeah, a you're... psychological component to this that that yeah, uh, yeah. is worth exploring. I mean, you're going back to the, the Jungian angle. What if our manifestation of, of spacemen is a response to that the psychic trauma caused by the by the knowledge that we are alone in the solar system. Yeah. You know, what if, what if we're making our spacemen because we don't want to be alone? We're, we're in denial as a species, you know? Yeah. I think, uh, I mean, that loneliness, it's almost like a, like how a lonely kid will create an imaginary friend. friend. Yeah. Yeah. An imaginary friend. Yeah. It's like (laughs) maybe UFOs and spirits and demons and angels. Maybe they're just our imaginary friends. Yeah. You know, like we, 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 we made them. 
because we're so lonely that we can't imagine a world or a universe uh, that's just us. It's interesting to think about, and I honestly, I never I, this idea never crossed my mind before, uh, you know, until tonight. But it's like there seems <laughs> there's something worth thinking about there because like, yeah, we is. did we did. Up until that point when we could actually, like, send probes and shit out, like, there was always the possibility. And now it's like, dude, you know, we talk for years about, oh, finding proof of aliens. Like, the only proof we have is the proof that we're alone. Yeah, exactly. Scary. Which, you know, maybe that'll change. Like, I, I, you know, as far as Mars is concerned, I have a strong suspicion that there might actually still be life on Mars. Um, Just subterranean. Life. Like, like intelligent life, though, or like worms and amoebas? Uh, I mean, maybe. Who knows? I mean, how are we, you know, we're, we're gauging intelligence based on us as humans. I mean, you know, it, maybe it's an intelligence that, that we don't even recognize as such. You know, we, we didn't even realize until recently that, you know, trees are intelligent in a way that is alien to us, but is can be considered conscious, you know, like how trees communicate with each other, they have neural networks. You know, maybe it's like, and if you look at, especially Mac Tony's book, he shows these pictures and these areas of Mars where it looks like there are trees growing, yeah. you know? Like, and, and there's certain, you know, and Arthur C. Clarke was a big proponent of that and was like, trying to get NASA to investigate that. He's like, look at these, it looks like banyan trees. Like, why are you guys not paying attention to this? And there's areas on the ice that looks like mold. It's like these big tendrily looking things that are living on the ice and it's like there could still be biological life on mars maybe it's just things like mosses or you know trees or lichens but i think maybe underground where it's protected from the radiation where you know the temperature is probably more stable there might be liquid water you know maybe there are thriving martian oceans just below the surface you know full of weirdo Fish. You know, Martian cave fish and spiders. Yeah, and yeah, stuff. I mean, sound, yeah, yeah, they sound like submarines and shit into like the most dangerous, you know, lava pity uh, subterranean oceans here and they find creatures and stuff. I mean, if you flew a crazy drone creatures over Death Valley, you know, you probably wouldn't see any living creatures. And But does it mean that there's no life in Death Valley? It just means that it's not where you can see it. It's not right there on the surface. You know, you got to go somewhere. You got to look deeper. You got to look in the holes and in the cracks. And we're never, that's our best, I guess, reason for sending people to Mars is because with our current level of technology, we can't explore caverns. And yeah. Because we know that there are caverns on Mars. Like, we know that there's, a cave, there's cave systems. Well, do you believe but in the, because you seem conspiratorial in a sense, and uh, I guess my own hang-ups about how lousy the space program is has made me a a hopeful adherence to the secret space program, not the crazy kind, uh, (laughs) you know, with time traveling and all that, portals and everything, but like, just that the government is just doing stuff that we don't know about and going to the moon and Mars. Like, like, like someone's already been to Mars, but they're not going to tell us. What do you think of that whole idea? I don't think anybody's been to Mars. Um... We, there may have been more missions to the moon. I don't know. I don't think there's been anybody else to Mars or been anybody to Mars. Um, and I, I tend to fall on the, the Mac Tony's kind of explanation about Mars. Like the reason we haven't had any manned missions is mainly because, like JPL is in charge of 
the Mars program. Yeah. And JTL doesn't do manned missions. They, they yeah, work they with drones and, and robotics and stuff. So if they did send a manned mission to Mars, it would be taken away from JPL, which means all that funding would be uh, taken away. Oh, it's like a political game, think, yeah. I think it's just political. I mean, usually that's that's the thing. I'm conspiratorial. I have heard that about the whole NASA the thing, part. where it's like there's really two yeah. – there's two NASAs. There's like the JPL side yeah. and there's like the people that want manned missions and somewhere along the way, yeah. you know, the manned mission guys. Yeah. Ironically, to bring it back to what we were talking about earlier, um, that it's like there's this distaste for mm-hmm. – I kind of I – I, I, I wanted to articulate this better to Tyler Hoke, John, on, uh, on Twitter a few days ago, and you responded on there too. Mm-hmm. Because he posted an article about you know genetically manipulating people and stuff, and it's like to send it into space. And to me, it's like part of the reason why I'm super pessimistic about like real serious space advancement is there's like this distaste for people dying to to, to try, you know. And to me, it's like if you're brave enough to do it, like you're a hero, man. Like I'm not. Yeah, it's your choice. You're not, well, you know, you're not, you're not. No one's forcing you, ostensibly, I hope, presumably, yeah. to get into a space capsule and fly out to Mars. So, like this whole idea yeah. where it's like we need to figure out, you know, all this stuff about how, you know, how, how the body will handle it. It's like, did it, you know, when they <laughs> found the new world, man, they just put people on ships and went, like, and, 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 <laughs> yeah, and but people, how many of the yeah, but the ships didn't call. Didn't the ships didn't cost like a trillion dollars? That's either, true. So. That's true. <laughs> but you know, I think, yeah, I think you, you know what like I'm saying. Spaceship, it's like, you know? it's yeah, like yeah. the idea, like, oh, we have to be super safe with this. It's like, yes, you should yeah. be safe within the within reason, but we don't need people like living in a bunker on Earth for eight months to find out what it would be like to live mm-hmm. on Mars. Like, we're really hampering ourselves with this idea that, like, we. <laughs> You know, well, everyone's going to have to be okay in this trip. It's like, just do it. Just do it. I'm very impatient. It, I think you see the scars of the Challenger disaster and some of the other recent disasters right, that they've had, right. uh, like Atlantis and stuff. Because, yeah, like, that's the thing. You used to be able to just get a rickety old ship and a bunch of guys who were probably in jail. You know, yeah, recently in jail, yeah, yeah. Throw them on a ship and be like, oh, you're going to the New World, bro. You're going you're gonna to be a colonist now. And, um, you know, it's fine. You didn't care if they got lost. But this, the astronauts are like heroes to people. You know, they're like, a, they're like almost like a symbol of the nation unto themselves. You know, like oh, they're, they're sure. literally like the best and brightest people that we have. Incredibly intelligent people. Most of them are like polymaths. You know, they're, and you've got this incredibly, ridiculously expensive spacecraft that you're going to send them in. So I can kind of understand the caution um, on one hand. When they uh, had that theoretical Mars mission, you know, the one-way trip they were talking about, yeah. there was something like 150,000 people that volunteered for it. Oh, for sure, you know? yeah. So, I mean, if I thought I had any way to get into it, I would, you know, I'd do it. Yeah, I'd for sure, I would do it too. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, uh, you know. I guess, like, if I was, I like, emperor. willing to do it. <laughs> yeah. If I was, like, emperor mm-hmm. of the world, I would just be like. We're just going. <laughs> Build the ship. Like, what, you know, yeah. ostensibly the United States has, like, trillions of dollars they spend on defense. It's yeah. like, just build the ship, dude. Just build a ship that can fly to Mars. It can't be, you know, we know how far away it is. We know what it might take. And and pack it full of people. <laughs> pack it full of, you know, yeah. put, like, three dozen astronauts on it and go. Yeah. And, and 
And the people that are lost, they're like I said, they're heroes, dude. They <laughs> they went to go start life yeah. on Mars. Like that to me is the frustrating part because it's going to take just forever for them to ever do anything, you know. Uh, the pessimistic side of me says that the U.S. is never going to do it. Uh, I mean, in a lot of ways, the U.S. is, uh, whether or not we want to admit this to ourselves or not, it's an empire in decline. Oh, and for sure, yeah. I don't think we're ever going to muster the political will to ever do that. Now, I think it'll happen, but it's going to be a country like India, or it's going to be like China or somebody that sends the first manned mission to Mars. I think that's what you'll end up seeing. I just... Unfortunately, I just don't think America has it in them anymore to do it. Maybe they'll prove me wrong, and, and I can go hoorah and hang an American flag outside my house. But, you know, I just I don't see it happening, unfortunately. I just, I just don't think there's the will to do it. You know, we're too busy blowing up mud huts and, you know, Afghanistan to worry about traveling to another planet or doing something that would actually inspire people, you know. Well, if any other country uh, – that might be like the only salvation for America – Beyond like a civil war or a world war, because I, I'm growing increasingly pessimistic about things in general. So I recently thought to myself, like the only thing that's going to save this country is either a civil war or a world war. Like we're that on the on the precipice of such a division. We're in, we're in the division, yeah. but we're just on the precipice of like the division completely becoming ugly. Err. Um, but but what you introduce in a way would be would hopefully be an, a peaceful alternative if if a country like China or Russia or India or any or, or Europe like put a man on Mars I think that like it would almost galvanize the American public and and, and the country well, yeah, I, mean, I would hope to... that it would, it would like like what happened with Sputnik to yeah, throw yeah. back to the Mark O'Connell book uh what I didn't really ever realize because I must not have paid much attention in school was that you know, we were planning on sending a satellite up into space. We had, like, announced it, the United States, and it was, like, a, uh, a collaborative project with other countries and stuff. And it was, like, six months away from happening, and then the Russians just did it. And they yeah. launched Sputnik, and everybody freaked out. And it was like, whoa, we're, we're, we're second-class space citizens now. Like, what is going on? Yep. And, and, and maybe that would happen in modern times, where it was like, India just put a man on Mars. And we'd be like, how did we not get to Mars? Like, like, I want all spending diverted to Mars tomorrow. Like, I would that would be the yeah. greatest thing that could happen to the country. Well, you, you bring up a good point there in that the reason the I space race it happened. Yeah, uh, the reason the space race happened was because we had a rival. Because right. Because we had something. To, we we were in a race. We had somebody else up against. A lot, a lot of people don't realize. There is, America is the only superpower left, right? It's just us. You know, we don't have – Russia is a, like a withering shadow of its former, you know, power. Like China, people talk a lot about China, but they're still nowhere close to us. You know, we spend more money on our military than the next 10 countries combined. Like we are the world's only superpower, and it's just like somebody when they get married, you know? Like when you're – a a young gun, like you're you're dating girls and stuff, you're working out, you're trying to look good, like you're, you're putting in the effort. Right. You get right. married, and you get lazy, and you just don't feel like really putting in the effort anymore. That's where America's at now. You know, it's just we don't have the will to do it because we don't have anyone pushing us. We don't have a we don't have any incentive to do it. You know, there's nobody else rivaling us. 
we got rid of all our rivals thanks to the you know the, the wonderful people at the Central Intelligence Agency. Yeah, well, it's funny you, you know, say we, that. It's like to draw it in a comparison to the to the uh, pop culture junkies listening today. I read an article mm-hmm. that essentially said the same exact thing you're saying about the NFL. That was like <laughs> they were hungry and they wanted to be the only game in town. And, you know, they did whatever it took to be the preeminent sport in America. And now that they are, they're just resting on their laurels and, and, and cashing in. And it's like, that's kind of America now. <laughs> that's kind of the, it is. that's it is. kind of how America is now. We, 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 you know, <coughs> World War II kind of like set it all up where it's like, we're the number one and we'll outlast mm-hmm. you guys so you go bankrupt and we'll be the number one country. And it happened. It's like WWF or yep. WWE. It's like they're the only show left, mm-hmm. so they don't even try anymore. Yeah, it's going to take a great – we need another great rival. Yeah. You know, and, and I mean, what rivals do we have now? You know, we're talking about going to war with, with North Korea. I mean, North Korea's military budget is less than the New York Police Department's budget. Yeah. Their entire military budget is less than the NYPD's budget. Like, it's a joke that people even take them seriously as a threat or, or get sucked into this, like, fear-mongering. Well, you know, the it's, fear, it's to be fair, the fear is uh, my only concern, I guess, with North Korea is that, like, mm-hmm. that, they'll, that, they'll, uh, that they're like a suicide bomber. That they're going to, like, send a missile over and blow something up in Guam or some shit, knowing that we're going to blow them up completely. And then before they do that, they're going to blow up South Korea. That's my. I, I mean, I think that's, I think that's know, the fear that most people have. Because, like, you know, to to to, to just, if it was just like, oh, are we going to go to war with North Korea? It's like this not they don't stand a chance. There's not even a problem there. Yeah. But it's like before we can get the chance to destroy them, they're going to kill like three million people. And they're holding they're holding Seoul hostage essentially. I'm yeah, and they are. That's that's the big thing. People don't realize that the minute we fire a shot at North Korea, they've got artillery, and it's not even nukes. They don't even need nukes. No, right? they've got artillery pointed towards at Seoul. Yeah, yeah, like Seoul is rubble within a day. Like you know, eight million people in Seoul. So like, it's not even the thing about it is though. Like, I think that North Korea is not going to launch any sort of preemptive strike, right? They want the nukes as a deterrent. They're looking right, at the right. example of like the Soviet Union. Right? An insurance they want, policy. They want to, yeah, they want it. But they're, they're not entirely wrong for – I mean this may be kind of a hot take, but they're not entirely wrong for wanting a nuke. Because, no, because any, I mean, any aspirational country of, of ill repute that tries that, – you know, that grows too big for its britches, the United States takes out. Yeah. So, yeah, absolutely. You know, you know who gave up his nukes? Madame, uh, what is his name? Gaddafi in Libya. And look right. what happened there. You know who also gave up their nukes? Ukraine. Ukraine gave up their nukes. They disbanded their army. They were like, because they had the whole agreement with Russia. Russia was like, yeah, we'll respect your sovereignty if you give up your nukes. And then what did Russia do to Ukraine as soon as they, <laughs> like, you know, like they they see these examples. So I honestly can't blame them. They're like, like if we don't have this deterrent. Then yeah, the, the U.S. is gonna like roll us over. They know that they're no match. Right, right. You know exactly. It's just that like it's just that I'm more scared of us launching a first strike onto them like a bunch of idiots than and then setting them off their doing their, their uh, dead man switch. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Like I mean, a lot of people act like uh, what's his name, Kim Il Jong or yeah. I remember his son's Kim Jong Un. 
yeah, Kim Jong-un. Like, a lot of people act like Kim Jong-un is like some sort of madman or crazy dictator. He's not. He's a lot smarter than his dad was. Like, he's, I mean, he looks like a dork, but he's like a cold, calculating dude. Like, when he, if you were following what was going on there, when he first took power, he immediately like, got rid of all of his rivals. And, like, I mean, he's not an idiot. Right, right. Like, he knows what he's doing. I honestly don't think he's, like, unstable. I mean, he makes all these, like, grand statements, you know, on TV, like, oh, we're going to rain fire and fury and everything on the U.S. But it's just posturing. No, that was our president. I said that about that. Oh, yeah, yeah. So that was the the thing. (laughs) Talk about a hot take. Yeah, I mean, Mike, that you're saying, yeah, yeah. Donald Trump seems more unstable than he does, to be honest with you, just because, like, he – Yeah, I mean, you've, you've he, seems like he, who... he, he seems like he has a plan or or, or a motivation. Yeah. With Donald Trump, it's like your motivation is to be liked, dude. So you're only yeah, – you're going to bomb North Korea, like, if you, if you think that your approval rating is too low. Exactly. He's like – you know, he's like this senile old dude who kind of, like, walks around in his underwear in the White House and, like, watches Fox News in the morning and then, like – stays up on Twitter all night. Yeah. And he's just surrounded by all these like generals, these like literal ghouls who just like are trying to get him to do stuff. You know, who are just like waiting for him. He's just gonna listen to whatever they tell him to do. You know? Like if they're like, yeah, oh, yeah we much. can do it. We can totally because they're gonna they're gonna feed him the same line they fed people during Iraq. That oh yeah, it's gonna be open and shut. You know? We're gonna get in there, it's gonna be like Mission accomplished, just like George Bush coming down on the aircraft <laughs> the mission accomplished thing, like a couple of weeks after the, you know, Iraq right, first right. It's like, it's no, it's it's going to be a Pandora's box. And, uh, you know, all these people, all they care about, they're all controlled by defense contractors. I mean, we just approved another $700 billion for the military. I mean, and you think, you know, people like, okay, well, we got to support the troops. Do you think the average Joe is going to see any of that $700 billion? They're not going to see it. They're still going to be using the same equipment they've been using for the past 10 years. All that money is going to go in the pockets of defense contractors and defense corporations. Like, it's none of it's going to go to the actual troops themselves. And, you know, I'm not anti-military. Well, in a sense it doesn't. Well, like a, a tiny percent. I, I guess in a, mm. my only argument there would be like that uh, of that whole thing is like that pays the salaries of everybody in the military, which is a whole – which is an in- industry. It's the mil- yeah, you know, yeah. military-industrial complex. Like, the gen- whatever the general gets paid, like, I assume they get paid mm-hmm. once you're a general and stuff. Like, I assume yeah, you yeah. have, like, a salary. And no, it's shit. a job. I mean, you get paid, yeah. yeah. And yeah, you probably I mean, get paid I, I pretty well. So it's like, you know, 100, 100 grand a year or something like that. If, if there's mm-hmm. so many generals and all these different, you know. So I can, I can mm-hmm. see why that is. But then you say $700 billion, it's like, just take $5 billion. Yeah. Five, just take five billion and build the ship to go to Mars. That's that's like oh, I just it's just <laughs> yeah, exactly. short sighted. It's just so short sighted. It's like it's like should we be spending our money more wisely? Take ten billion of it and have single payer health care in this country. <laughs> you know, right, right. It's like we talk about having single payer health care in this country and actually taking care of people in this country like every other industrialized country in the entire world does, and you have all these. Like people being like, oh, how are we going to pay for it? Well, we just gave the military seven hundred billion dollars. Like we could maybe have taken a little bit of that and you know given people health care that they right. can afford. You know, it's like it's ridiculous. And you know, I really encourage anyone who is into like military stuff. Like, um, do you mind if I plug another podcast here? No, I'm gonna fuck. Okay, it's so, the like, final season, man. Plug all. <laughs> 
<laughs> These people it's need not, It's not a paranormal podcast. Completely yeah. different like kind of podcast, but it's a it's a military podcast called uh, Hell of a Way to Die, and I it's like, like the title. it's all veterans. Yeah, it's, it's a great show. It's a bunch of veterans. Um, they're all kind of like leftist leaning veterans, and you know they they talk about this kind of stuff. And they had a great show about how much the military wastes, just like the money that they just flushed on the toilet when they, that they saw that they experienced when they were in Iraq. Oh yeah, they, were, yeah, uh, yeah, the. Yeah, the spending is out of control in a sense where it's like they – it's not the old yeah. joke where it's like they spend like $500 on a screwdriver or some shit like that where it's insane. Yeah, that, that's what people don't realize. That's not a joke. That really happens. They'll, they'll spend – it's not on a single screwdriver, but they'll send them like a crate full of screwdrivers. Right, Like right. what do they need all these screwdrivers for? You know what like, it reminds me of um, like, not just like the pharmaceutical industry too where it's like, it's like they're, they're very similar in a way where it's like they just lavishly spend on shit that's like – they, well, they bill you, you know. It's like you need aspirin. Yeah. It's ten thousand dollars for a ball of aspirin. It's like, what, what is going on here? Yeah. Like this, this industry is so giant, it's lost control of itself. Yeah, you you see the limits of the free market, like kind of eating itself, like an Ouroboros. Like yeah. you know, you you see that at some point, like the laws of supply and demand work, like in theory, but they don't work. They're, but they don't work in a vacuum, you know. Like, I think I got that back. <laughs> they only work in a vacuum, you know. Like, just because you have a pill that only, you know, maybe a hundred thousand people need a year, doesn't mean that you should jack up the prices to a hundred thousand dollars a dose. Right, right. You know, it's like there, there has to be, and you know, it's it's a problem. I know I'm getting very, uh, very, very socialist here, but you know, things like like the military just. People wonder why we don't have money for social programs like education and, and health care and that sort of thing, things that would make a marked difference in the average person's life. And we look at how much we waste just on the military and all these endless wars that we get ourselves into. And, you know, you wonder why we don't have the money to go to Mars. Right. You know? No, it's sad, that man. Take, sad, five, yeah. take five billion of that and let's go to Mars. Let's go back to the moon. Let's build a moon base. Right. I mean, right. Christ, like there's so many things that we could do other than be locked in endless wars all around the world and put money into the pockets of, you know, the CEOs of Raytheon, you know? Hey, you know what's funny, I think, is like the uh, – and I want to jump off to one more topic before I let you go, but the the, uh, the thing that right. – what you're saying is, yeah, it's just like everybody's – I mean, maybe people wouldn't care. I wish they would. I hope they would. But, like, how cool would it be if the government just tomorrow – uh, even though I can't stand Trump and hate him, he was like, I'm putting $10 billion to build a ship to go to Mars. It's like people, <laughs> they need fucking hope, man. They need like something. The country needs something to like get excited about beyond like the new Taylor yeah. Swift album and the Super Bowl and the start of football <laughs> season and shit that we're trained to be excited about. Like we need something. Yeah. We need a fucking purpose. And yeah. it's like and, we've and lost people, our way. Uh, yeah, we have. Unless people believe that I'm a liberal Democrat, I promise you I'm not, because this is exactly why the Democrats keep losing elections, and the reason that they're going to lose elections in perpetuity is because they have lost the ability to inspire people to tell, like, you know, you, you see the Senate Democrats Twitter account put out a thing being like, we can't, we're not going to support single-payer health care because we're going to try to fix Obamacare. And it's like, you know, when when Trump says that Obamacare has fallen apart, he's not wrong, you know. It's like he's no, he's it's got a lot of problems. I mean, they need to fix that, yeah. Yeah, 
And it's like, you know, why not just tell? It's like uh, when, you know, people were asking Hillary about $15 minimum wage, and she was telling people, well, why don't we start at $12? I mean, when did politics become the art of, like, compromising with yourself? Yeah. You know, you're supposed to compromise with the opposition, not sell yourself short. It right, doesn't right. inspire people. Exactly. It doesn't inspire people to, like, yeah, no, we're you can't have 15. We're going to aim for 12. You know, like, no, just tell them that you're going to do 15, and if you can't get it, then you can't get it. But <laughs> you're, like, selling yourself short before you even get in the office, and it's just – it's ridiculous. I mean, that's that's why, you know, I'm I'm scared as hell as 20, of 2018 because <laughs> – I think the Democrats are going to lose even harder than they lost last last year. You know, it's it's ridiculous. Yeah, and I mean, we'll see what happens. Uh, I'm hopeful that, like, I'm hopeful, but I was very disgruntled after the election, as, as one can imagine. Yeah, um, it was very yeah. disappointing and very frustrating because it was like this should have been a layup, man, and and they just yeah. messed it yeah, up. Yeah, it should have been so badly. They messed it up real bad. <laughs> Yeah. Oh Lord, they messed it up. And yeah. it's not like the impression they they like trying to rig the game and then it blew up in their face where it was like this is perfect. I, We're I running against just, Donald Trump and it was like you don't know what you're getting yourself yeah. into, dude. He's not you know, this guy's a fucking movement. Mm-hmm. Like you're 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 gonna face off yeah, with on, with Bernie Sanders on steroids. <laughs> like Yeah, and that's people like you understand this because you know about like wrestling and stuff. You and Donald Trump is He's a carny man. He's like a wrestling guy. Yeah, he's a performer. You know, yeah. he like understands how to work the cl- work the crowd. He's a performer, and they just did not know how to fight against something like that. And the thing and is, like they people, just... people, friends of mine still are like think Donald Trump's like a super genius. You know, he's playing twelve dimensional mm-hmm. chess while everyone knows, doesn't know what they're doing, and it's like maybe during the election he was, dude. Like I think <laughs> that he's the ultimate. Like I think like if he could just campaign for the rest of his life, he'd be in heaven. But it's like running the fucking government. He's not. That's not what he can do, dude. He's just not equipped to fucking run the government at all. You know, on a very basic level, he just told people what they wanted to hear. Yeah. And the Democrats just refused to do that. You know, they refused to just tell people what they want to hear. Remember when I watched that first, uh, the first debate between Trump and Hillary? I was like, oh shit, like this is going to be bad because. I was like, nothing she says inspires people. Right, nothing she's right. saying like gets me fired up, you know. Like, yeah. like Bernie did. Bernie fired me up, but it was like, nothing she's saying fires me up. And it's like that's and you know you got Trump with these. Well, the enthusiasm gap was huge. Fun. The enthusiasm gap is like yeah. what really did in Hillary. Uh, you know, people it was a begrudging support for her, and the people who like Trump yeah. they fucking love him. It's like Jesus, <laughs> to the point where it's like I get that you like him, but. With an un- we, talk- we talked about unhealthy obsessions. It's like there's kind of an unhealthy obsession with some people with this guy. It's like you shouldn't, <laughs> you shouldn't like you know, dear leader. I mean, I know there were people like who were that way with with Obama, and they're just as bad. You know, yeah. People who were like, well, it's just thought he was their savior and everything. Yeah. It's like no, it's not. He's just a dude. He's just a dude who became president. Let's not. Yeah. He's not going to like change the world, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 people. The big thing with Trump too is that that he was finally allowing people to, in public, express views that they otherwise would have kept more quiet and polite society. That's right, the whole right. thing with all these like Nazis around today. Oh like, God, when yeah. This country. When did it become okay to be a fucking Nazi? Like, you know, 
when I was a kid, like Nazis were the bad guys and everything. You didn't want to be a Nazi. You wanted to be Indiana Jones knocking out a Nazi, you know? Like, right, right. Now there are people who are like, well, let's give the Nazis a chance to say what they have to say. It's like, what? No. Yeah. Let, you know, let's hear both sides. You know, the one side, um, you know, wants uh, everybody to have a house over their head and, and food in their plate. The other side wants to put, like, you know, 30% of the population in ovens. Yeah, let's – this is a conversation that we can have. We can find a <laughs> right. compromise here. Yeah. It's like, no, there's no compromise with this. Like, you know, we're not going to – it's ridiculous. And it's like, I just don't understand where it came from. Like, what drives a person? That, that's, you know, the one thing uh, – No, we talked about this last <laughs> week, me and Steve Berg, where it's like there's people who yeah. are disenfranchised and, like, you know, like lower – lower well, I, lower. I, I hate to get classist on people, but, like, lower class mm-hmm. white people who just didn't get the – you know, who got squeezed out of the system. They get ignored. Yeah, they got ignored by the Democrats, and they're, told that, and, they're, and they're told that they're privileged, even though their lives suck. <laughs> like that's that's yeah. the whole. That's yep. where it all came from. It's like when you're when yeah. you're lecturing some dude who's been out of a job for like ten years that like you have privilege. It's like he don't he doesn't have any fucking privilege, dude. Like he's getting the screws yeah, everybody else. Like that's the thing. I'm telling someone. God bless him, yeah. Jim Mars. I, we, I, I said this, or he said this to me, or I said it to him, or we kind of mutually agreed at one point during the shows. It was like, it's not a, or I think I told him that's what I learned from reading his books. It was like, this isn't like a, even though we talked about the, the, the systemic issue in ufology, this is really, at the end of the day, the problems of the fucking planet are not like black and white or gay or straight. It's just rich and poor, man. It's just a, yeah. it's just, it's a class system, and they've really, They've bamboozled people into into thinking that like into aspiring to be rich without realizing that they're far closer to the poor. And yeah. That's, yeah, that's a the great thing. trick yeah. that they played on the entire fucking planet at this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, well, welcome, comrade Banal. <laughs> welcome to the welcome to the right side of history. Yeah, I mean, it is. It's 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 all class, man. It is. It's all class. It, it, the whole. It, you know what? Interesting thing about like race and stuff. I've, no, I've known that, that for a long time, bro. It's just. Yeah. Know, I'll give the, you some. I'll give you some sad like, news, though. As you get older, <laughs> as you get older and you get closer to to, to being old, I'm almost old now. At some point, you're just like, well, fuck this. I'm checking out. I got to look out for I got to look out for me. <laughs> fuck this. You know, I'm not in my 20s well, I mean, anymore. I can't save the world. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, my thing is I don't have any problem with, uh, with, with like, money and that sort of thing. People don't realize about, like, socialism and stuff. It's like I don't have a problem with money, man. I, I trade cryptocurrencies. Like, I want to be rich. Like, there's no, you know. Oh, yeah, you I'm saying I don't need a billion yeah. dollars. Yeah, like, I don't need a billion dollars. But I'd like to have a nice house. That's the thing. People don't realize how much this world has changed. People wonder why you know, like young people are so disillusioned these days. It's like you used to be able you used to be able to like work as a fireman and, and like buy a house. You yeah, know? exactly. Like about yeah. three times your yearly income. The average house price is like eight times a yearly income now. It's like it's it's just it's impossible now. Get the opportunity that used to exist for for people in this country does not exist anymore, and people have not come to terms with that fact anymore. You know, like wage growth has not really increased since like the 1960s. You know, the rich have gotten richer and the poor have gotten poorer. Like income inequality in this country is just outrageous. It's outrageous that like you can work 80 hours a week in this country and can't afford 
a, a roof over your head. You know, that's that's yeah, insane. no, for sure, yeah, it's insanity. Like it is insane. the thing, if you work a minimum wage job and work forty hours a week, you should be able to afford at least like a, a like a one bedroom apartment. Or something. <laughs> yeah, you know, like, sure, fuck yeah, man. There's no reason you shouldn't be able to like live on an income in this country. We're the richest country in the world. You know, it's like it's ridiculous. You know, people, yeah, and it, it kills. My only, I guess, because I'm I'm kind of a scrappy asshole, but my only argument to that is like, if you're working an eighty-hour week job and you can't get a place over your head, you need to fucking like move to like where, to like where you can. You know what I'm saying? Because like up yeah, here, but, you know, where I live in Massachusetts, like a house to buy a house is like a half a million bucks easily. And if I go down to yeah. to like Georgia, I can buy for half a million bucks. I can buy like a fucking mansion. So it's like you, yeah, you, you got to go where. Georgia, yeah, I guess, but but if you're if you're working eighty hours a week at fucking McDonald's and you can't afford a, a roof over your head, it's like maybe San Francisco is not the place for you. Like maybe yeah. you need to maybe you need to think about moving to Tulsa because there you'll be but able you know, to that, own a house. The big the bigger argument against that though is that not only does it cost money a lot of money to move. I've moved like, oh, yeah, a couple yeah, times sure. in the last four years, and it, every time it you know put me out. Three thousand, four thousand dollars, and you know, just getting hotel rooms on the way there, shipping everything, and it's like most people don't even have that much money in their savings account. You know, it's like uh, people can't just, and people have family. You know, like if they've got grandparents and that kind of thing, like maybe they just can't up and move. It's like it's just if you, I think like if you work, then you should be able to afford like the necessity. Oh, I, yeah, no, I agree with that. I'm just saying, yeah. like, yeah, it's just. At some point, you get agitated where you're like, "All right, I got to make a change. <laughs> like the system ain't working for me. I got to fucking change yeah. know, my end of the shit." But absolutely, no. The whole system, the whole system is broken anyway for folks trying to get by. Now, before I let you go, for like five minutes, since I've you probably never talked about this on the show before, and it's the anniversary, and it ties back in a sense to what we were talking about earlier because we were talking about. Uh, the, the the weird lack of African American folks in ufology and someone immediately in the chat room was like Barney Hill and it's like yes yes Barney Hill we you know we all know that tonight is the anniversary of their their uh, abduction uh, quote unquote oh, it is yes it's the fifty sixth anniversary of the abduction so and like I said I figure you've oh, wow. never talked about this on a show before and I'm sure you've looked at it so what do you think what do you think of that 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 uh, seminal event in UFO history? Do you think there was really an abduction going on, or or something else, or or what? So I thought of two things here. Um, for a little while, and I still maybe think this. I thought that the Betty and Barney Hill case could have been a military abduction, and I only say this because. It's really, really, really weird when you examine it on its own merits. That was my uh, guess of what you would name. say, actually. Yeah. Believe it or not, I, I was like, I was kind of speculating on what, where you'd fall, and I was like, he'll probably say it was like some kind of like secret government uh, program. So, we have a connection. Yeah. Now, now, I don't know if if you know my ideas on this constantly shift and change, but there's a couple little elements of it that I, that really stick out to me. Well, one is the time of the abduction. It was right in the middle of Operation Midnight Climax, which was the MK Ultra project that was being run, where they were, you know, dosing people with LSD and seeing what would happen to them. Uh, it was also during the height of the Civil Rights Movement. And I, I, people don't realize how weird MK Ultra was. 
Like the guys working on MK Ultra were sometimes taking their own medicine, and I think sometimes they just oh, wow. thought up experiments just for the hell of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like they would just do stuff. They were just on power trips, you know, mm-hmm. and they would just do weird stuff. Because I don't put it beyond them to be like, let's see what happens when we do this to an interracial couple. Mm. Like. It just, saying, it just yeah. smells like something that they would do. And there's this one, if you read uh, uh, Fuller's, you know, Interactive Journey, there's a really interesting part where um, when, like, they, you know, stop the car. Because they have that initial sighting, right, where they see the things in the in the windows and the portholes and the craft. Then it flies away. And then they're driving. And then they get pulled over on the side of the road, and this thing's, like, already on the road, right? Like, they don't see it land or whatever. Um there's a part where when they first mentioned the way the things look, like the quote-unquote aliens, they're just like guys in coveralls. Like, Barney thinks that they're like Nazis. People are like, yeah, I thought he described as Nazi. Yeah, and like Nazis. Like, he sees like uniforms. Right, um, right. It sounds to me like he's seeing people, not aliens or whatever. Right, right. Or whatever. You know, and, and there's a part where um, Betty gets taken out of the car She's, like, being led by her arm, and she feels, like, a pain in her arm or something like that. I don't have the book right in front of me, but it sounds like she's being injected with something to me. And the, the uh, quote-unquote alien is really, like, rude to her. And, you know, most of the time when these entities contact people or they have these contact experiences, uh, they don't talk like normal people. You know, it's sort of – it's almost mystical in a way. You know, there's, like, a certain decorum about it. But this thing is just like, like, I wish I had the book in front of me so I could tell you, but he's like, hurry it up. Like, he's like, come yeah. on, we don't have all night or something like that. He has a very human response in sounds, the situation, yeah. Yeah, it's a very human response. And it's like, that sounds like somebody just annoyed at the fact that she's taking too long. And they're like, um, you know, freaking CIA has me out here in the middle of the Right, right, you know, injecting this lady in the middle LFCU. of the night. <laughs> yeah, it just, it's, it, God, it just strikes me as weird. And the story. And there's another element of it. There's a whole other abduction story of this guy who was, uh, like, he was a guy in New York. He, I think it was New York. He just had, like, a heart attack. Uh, he had this whole abduction experience. And the star map that was shown to Betty Hill, which doesn't make any sense in the first place, because why would there be a 2D star map? Right. right. How would a 2D star map tell you anything? <laughs> yeah. Um, he was shown that same star map. Oh, weird. Betty and Barney Hill. Yeah, and, and there was this there's this element of that story. This story was told on like a uh, mysterious universe at some point, but he, um, like after his whole abduction experience, he's told to like go see a cardiologist or like go see a psychologist or something after he has a heart attack. Yeah. 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 He has a heart attack and then he's told to go see a psychologist because apparently people who've just had a heart attack need to talk to a psychologist, which by the way, doesn't happen. But he was, like, referred to the psychologist by his doctor. Jeez. And this psychologist just happened to be in this giant empty warehouse building on the outskirts of New York. What? <laughs> and he, like, goes to it. And there's, like, a single part desk. Of nefarious, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's, like, a single desk with a, you know, like a you know, secretary there. He goes in. He goes into this little, like, classroom that they have set up in this warehouse where it's, like, literally – it looks like a classroom, he says. And it, there's, like, a guy in a lab coat there who – doesn't ask him any psychological questions. He just asks him a bunch of questions about his uh, abduction. And he's, like, really weirded out by the whole thing. So, you know, he leaves. He's escorted out. He gets really weirded out by the whole thing. He's like, what the hell was that? And the next day, he tries to go back, and sure enough, the place is all boarded up. 
you know, everybody's vacated. And it's like that smells like some MK Ultra stuff to me. Yeah, that's weird. Like that sounds. Yeah, there's an element yeah. of the case that makes me think that it was like some kind of military operation. Um, yeah. You know, and it was so foreign to Betty and Barney that they would like. The thing that trips people up, I think, or trips me up, is the uh, hypnosis part. So the guy didn't, you know, he had no. He wasn't one of these fly-by-night abduction investigators who's like, who's like, so what do the aliens look like? You know, he actually mm-hmm. got, got the shit out of them, and they were talking about aliens. So it's like, okay, so... Yeah. But then when you look back at the whole hypnosis thing, if you just if your idea is to like throw out the hypnosis and look at it from a completely detached perspective, the, the my lab idea definitely is, to me, more tenable, I guess. But... Who knows? Yeah, I mean, you know, if they were if they were like, you know, wigged out on LSD, who knows what they these people looked like to them? Right. You right. know, and it's it's sort of like, and they were also hip, hypnotic recall does not mean it's accurate. You know, like oh yeah, exactly. Hypnotic recall is just what they what their impressions were. So it doesn't just because someone has hypnotic regression doesn't mean that what they're remembering is accurate. That's why it's not admissible in court. You know, it doesn't. Right. It's right. just. It's like you're asking somebody what their dream was, you know? Like, exactly. It doesn't mean they're going to remember it exactly. People don't even remember things exactly anyway. And it's even why witness testimony is, like, suspect in court cases. And the other thing is, um, I'm going to say, yeah, like, uh, do you remember that episode of The X-Files, like, Jose Chung's from Outer Space? Oh, no, I don't. I've never seen The X-Files. Oh, my God, Jen. I know. People <laughs> always give me shit about the, yeah, I don't watch The X-Files. I never got into it. Okay, well, there's... There's exactly one episode of the X-Files that you should watch. I won't tell you to go watch the whole series, but there's one episode. <laughs> it's the best X-Files episode. It's called Jose Chunks from Outer Space, and it's basically a whole piss take on ufology and, like, you know, like alien abduction videos and the men in black. It's, like, a very humorous, like, funny episode, and it's making fun of a lot of stuff. And one of the kind of plot elements of that episode is that the, the U.S. military has been abducting people in, like, you know, conventional craft with pilots dressed up like gray aliens. That makes sense, yeah. And then, like, you know, doing hypnosis and, like, kind of MK Ultra stuff on them to make them think they've been abducted by aliens when really they were just running medical experiments on them. And that, you know, who knows? Maybe they had costumes. You know, maybe that's why I saw aliens. Oh, yeah, for maybe sure, yeah, like yeah. People in costumes. Yeah, because she, like, yeah, she was like, oh, look, he looked like a guy. He looked like a Nazi at first. Then he was like, dude, put your mask on. <laughs> you know? Yeah. That kind of yeah. thing. You know? As someone who, you know, has, has dabbled in uh, psychedelics, you know, who knows what, if you were dosed high enough and you were being presented with a set and a whole theater production, you know, oh, something yeah. like, and, you know, we, we know that Air Force OSI was interested in, in having these sort of, you know, UFO narratives put out in the public. I mean, they probably knew, that's the whole thing about the hypnotic recall thing, right? Like, if an extraterrestrial species from another star system came here and were really running medical experiments on people and they didn't want them to remember if they had that level of technology I'm pretty sure that it would work yeah it's not like, yeah, yeah, it's not like having oh, dreams about you found it. a hack in our in our memory thing yeah it's like but you traveled yeah, here it's almost like they wanted Venus. them to remember right right yeah it's like they wanted them to remember and that goes for even just traditional uh, abduction narratives too you know I, I don't think the entities involved. I think people are abducted. I, I don't think that they're from outer space, um, mm. but that 
I think the reason the so-called memory blocks or screen memories don't really work and they start slipping is because they want them to remember it. Right. You know, right. it's uh, like Soraya uh, on Where Did the Road Go talked about the abduction experience as almost being like a like a ritual initiation, you know, or like a like a shamanic awakening where you know they want people to remember it. Maybe just not remember it all at once because it would be too shocking. You know, right, maybe right. it just trickles in at a rate that the person can can analyze it. Well, on that note, too, we have to go because they're going to cut us off in five minutes. So I cannot thank you enough, <laughs> Ren. Uh, I have really enjoyed the conversation, um, as you can tell from yeah, the fact that I've great. just dragged you out here for, for another hour. <laughs> uh, and, you know, I, I, I give I give a lot of shit to the young generation because I'm old now. But, I mean, <laughs> if there's more folks like you in this thing, we're going to be fine. You you and my buddy Coach and our, our buddy Coach. um mm. You know, like I said at the beginning of the show, I think uh, you're doing some thoughtful work about this stuff and actually uh, trying new avenues to explore it, and that's all I can ask for, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. I've always said on the show, it's like I, I'm, a, I'm a results-oriented program. If you're doing something differently, like my friends uh, Greg and Dana Newkirk putting haunted objects under 3D scans and stuff like that, it's like try something mm-hmm. new. Just don't be the guy who writes about Rendlesham or Roswell or uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, all these other classic cases. It's like there's nothing to be found in those mm-hmm. things. You're talking about stuff yeah. like Jack Bender <laughs> summoning a demon and then you summoning a demon. And and I'm gonna try and I'm gonna try and get into this stuff. I really do want to do it because like the, your your attitude <laughs> about how yeah, well, your attitude about how, like, if you just do it and try it, like, something could happen. To me, it's like, well, fuck, I'll do yeah. it. You know, why not? Yeah. Um, at the very least, you feel silly. At the at the most, you could change your life. So. Exactly. So I think I will, uh, I think I'll give it a try. So I'll be harassing you offline about, <laughs> s- send me something I can do to, to make a gnome <laughs> appear in my, uh, appear in my yard or whatever. But uh, I, right. I, I feel more confident than ever that ufology is going to be, uh, in good hands, and hopefully uh, the stuff we talked about tonight didn't upset anybody, and at the same time made them fucking think. Because uh, mm. ufology and the paranormal and stuff, we gotta get out of the dark ages, man. We gotta like, we gotta be, you know, part of this contemporary world and stop being like mm. this underground, creepy, <laughs> creepy world. You know, <laughs> I mean, if comics can make mm. it, UFOs and the paranormal can make it too. So we gotta, <laughs> we gotta grow up. In this field, and hopefully, yep. folks like uh, folks like Ryan Collier can help us grow up in a in a big way. So thank you, my friend, and I will talk to you soon. Thank you. It's been an honor. Everyone have a good night. Good night, folks. All right, there you go, my friends. That was Ryan Collier uh, on Banal of America. We have like two minutes. Oh my God, we talked so long. I love that guy. He is awesome. I think I think Rand Collier is really, really, really cool. Um and I think that he's somebody that we need more guys like that growing up in the world of ufology. Because 'Cause I'm getting old. My buddies now are getting old. Uh Micah Hanks, like I said, we grew up in this field. He's getting old. Greg Bishop's getting old, Paul Kimmel's getting old. We need new people coming in and uh and spreading this this strange uh gospel of UFOs and trying to figure it out. Or at least trying to Understand what the hell is going on here, man, because it is a complete mystery to me. Uh, on the next edition of this program, I have a guest in mind. I'm hoping he can be free 
next week. And if he is, we'll uh, we'll have him on the show. <laughs> and uh, that'll probably be the last of the uh, first time guests. And then we'll start getting to uh, some of the uh, less frequent but still awesome former guests on the show. And uh, so stay tuned to Banal of America and BOA on Facebook. Until next time, this is Tim and all. Thanking you for listening and signing off.